0: Rippy writes with Brian Scott. Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have.
1: What's up? Thanks for tuning in. Loaded Sunday podcast. Weldon in his normal spot on Sunday nights, talking all things Ole Miss 27-14 win over Liberty. Got into some Dennis Jackson stuff. Banged up offensive line. That had Jalen Cunningham, who'd been playing defense for this year. Um, some defensive stuff. What we thought of Malik Willis. And then, A look around the SEC, and it was a very eventful week. A lot of storylines, a lot of very interesting games and very interesting results before we got to the fastest growing segment on American soil that is soccer corner. So buckle up. We got two hours of some pretty good football talk and then about 10 minutes of football talk. But before we get to that, I want to remind you podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Glad you asked. So the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval and advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the industry. Need to check these guys out, need to get their picks. You know why? Because they hit it 69% in college football this week. Nice. Plus 6.3 units, 11 and 5 week, 6 and 2 in the NFL. So, that's, you followed their picks this weekend, you went 17 and 7. I guarantee you out there, most of you have either just had to pay the man or about to have to pay the man, and you didn't go 17 and seven because you wouldn't be having to pay the man if you went 17 and seven. You need to check them out. They're going to have a picks package that fits your price range, destroying it on NFL this week, destroying it in college football. Clearly, 11 and five. I would say that's pretty good. And they are going to lead you to profit more consistently than anyone else particularly your own dumb brain. I say that not as an insult because my own dumb brain loses me money. So check them out. They got month-long packages, season-long. I'd recommend just going the year-long past guy fully in all sports. It'll pay itself back and then some. But if you're looking for something a little bit uh, cheaper and more affordable, whatever your price range is, they're going to have a picks package to fit it and your preferred sport. Check them out. SkyboxSportsPicks.com. Absolutely the best gambling hand, handicapping website in the industry. The results speak for themselves. 69%. I didn't even want them to go 12 and 4. 11 and 5 is 69%. That is the perfect way to cap your weekend. Check them out. SkyboxSportsPicks.com. When you make your picks package, use the promo code RIPPY. Uh, we had some dudes a while back not checking in with the promo code. You're just wasting free money, and it lets them know you sent us. So it's a uh, it's a nice two-way street there. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg Rippy Rights special right now. If you're a subscriber to the Rippy Rights newsletter, that's com. Get a newsletter from me three to five times a week. That's completely free and discounted meats. You get a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. That's one hell of a way to kickstart your football watching weekend. That would have made it even more perfect. Uh, As you watched a great slate of college games on Saturday, maybe you're more of a Sunday guy. I don't know. But check them out. Go find all the specials that they have and all the great, great food. Lane Train Special, Bacon wrap Filet, all kinds of – awesome sausages seafood greg's always got something incredible cooking up there you need to go check them out don't go to kroger they want to greg wants to make your grilling experience great and lb's is the best place in the world to get meat it is awesome crab stuff mushrooms i'm headed to oxford this weekend can't wait to stop by lb's because it is an absolute delight and oxford is lucky to have it check him out lb's university avenue across from kroger last but not least podcast also brought to you by manscaped that's right, Manscaped. All MPW Digital podcasts. You need to join the more than two million men who trust Manscaped because they make precision tools for your jewels. It's time to make the better. It's time to make me time in the bath. Me time, your favorite time in the bathroom, by choosing Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0 model. Got a nice uh, LED light. Charger on that thing. Heard the seventies were a wild time, but Manscaped is here to make sure things don't get out of control down there. You want to be groomed, you want to be kempt, just don't want to be, like I said, out of control down there. Manscaped is going to ensure you have uh, some nice, smooth boys. So check them out, manscaped.com. Use the promo code MPW and you get twenty percent off any purchase. Check them out. I was born for this ad read. All right, here is Weldon. One last note before we get to it. We recorded so Florida announced some staff changes. Dan Mullen parted ways with longtime uh, offensive line coach, John Hevesy and defensive coordinator, Todd Grantham. We recorded the podcast, uh, before that happened. So when you hear us talk about Florida and kind of the uncertainty surrounding Mullen and us debating whether he gets 2022, uh, we had not seen that news yet. So just to note, because, uh, uh, that may sound a little bit different now, because it does sound like they're going to give him opportunity to make staff changes. And, uh, at least see next year. That's at least what I'm thinking. I guess maybe that's not 100% concrete. Usually when you make staff changes, you're getting another year. But anyway, I just wanted to get that note out of the way because that happened before, or excuse me, that news broke after we recorded. So anyway, buckle up. We got a great show. Here's Weldon. What's up? Happy Sunday night. I'm Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippey Rights podcast. On the other end of the line, as he is every Sunday during football season, former Ole Miss recruiting specialist Weldon Rodenberg, We'll chat up about some Ole Miss Liberty, Ole Miss wins twenty seven fourteen. probably talk some uh, Twitter stuff, a lot of uh, around the SEC coaching carousel, and then the fastest growing segment on American Soil at the end, Soccer Corner. What's happening, my man? Were you home watching this game? What, were, what was your situation this weekend?
0: Yes, I, I was here in Houston, just woke up early Saturday morning, sat on my couch, watched the game, which is kind of how I prefer to do the 11 o'clock games, and then, yeah, you know, we did our thing and messed around the rest of Saturday, but no, nothing too crazy.
1: Yeah, I'm the exact same way. Honestly, I'm going to sound old and curmudgeon here, but that getting to the point where that's how I prefer to do any of the games at some point, um, <laughs> this was the first game I had watched by myself in my house since the Labor Day night game against Louisville, just because I'd work the next morning, and I'm not, not going to go get too banged up with an 8 o'clock uh, – eight o'clock appointment at work in the next morning but it's uh it was nice honestly uh I know people don't like being at 11 a.m games but like it was not that we have to be like totally completely locked in like reporters did or back when I did when I did this full time but like the day being over in terms of what you have to pay attention to being over by like three and then just kind of having the rest of the day to piddle around and like watch football go eat or something was actually quite nice I really enjoyed yesterday
0: no, definitely, and it's so much better from a viewing perspective. Now, from an actual attendance perspective, obviously that's not as near as fun. But I love just waking up and uh, just rolling out of bed, eleven o'clock, catching like the picks on game day, and then just getting into it. Plus, you just have so much time for the rest of the weekend, do whatever you want. So. That's the best part.
1: Yeah, that's another good point. I've actually, I guess I've done both this year because the game I'm, I'm going back for AM this coming week, the other game I went to is Arkansas, and that was 11 a.m. It wasn't the most fun thing getting up that early and kind of getting back on the horse, per se, with, you know, you crack the beer, at like, mid-first quarter. It didn't exactly taste great. But uh, I kind of enjoyed, the, like, the – The after party grove. It's for whatever reason, it feels a lot more laid back. It's a lot less hectic. Like there is a one bright side to eleven a.m. games. I kind of like the grove after a game sometimes. I don't know why. It just feels more laid back to me.
0: Yeah, after grove is fun. Before grove is is fine. It's usually just too crowded and too hectic for me, at least.
1: Yeah, for sure. Let's uh. So we'll just get right into it. Ole Miss wins twenty-seven to fourteen. They got up what I guess twenty-four to nothing. Second half wasn't pretty. I think I I was writing the note notebook this week or observations uh, in place of Neil because Neil was in Arkansas uh, visiting his kids, and <laughs> I think I mentioned this on the post game show yesterday. That was the I got a, a little bit of the. Uh, Sports writer problems that no one cares about taste again for the first time in a while, where I'm writing as the game's going because we try to get it up within 10, 15 minutes of the game ending. And the way that second half went, about three or four of my notes either had to be deleted altogether or completely altered because there was a point in that game where it got kind of weird um, there in the second half. Liberty seemed to run the ball a bit better. What did you think overall? Uh, I guess the way I was actually going with that was my first sentence was, Oh, Miss survived. I know the game was never really in doubt, but. To me, it just felt like they got through it. That's kind of what the goal was.
0: Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Uh, th- they did not play their best game, um, especially in the second half. First half, they played phenomenally, um, just in rhythm and all that. And uh, scripted plays, they ran perfectly, and they ran the ball well. And then, you know, in the second half, they go down, Liberty scores immediately. And I think, you know, Ole Miss got a little tight but uh, just their inability to run the ball and sustain drives with how well the, the defense was playing was kind of, I guess, un- not unsettling, but just unfortunate for the way the game could have gone because it could have been just a total blowout. Uh, but Liberty's tough. The, the Willis kid is really tough. I mean, he got his ass kicked all day long and like really never, never kept stopped going. And, um, you know, they're not a great football team. And Ole Miss ha- did exactly what they needed to do, but definitely wasn't the most satisfying victory
1: ever. No, the defense played pretty well, except for really two drives, I thought. I mean, the, the rushing numbers that Liberty ended up with weren't great. But, I mean, hell, they ended up running the football 55 times. Uh, ended up with 284 yards. But, yeah, I, it was weird because you could look at it from both sides, right? You mentioned I, – I think you're dead on there with Ole Miss's inability to sustain drives and run the football kind of kept them from putting the game away pretty early – You know, if the defense comes out and gets that uh, stop to open the second half, the offense can muster up one more score and it's 34 nothing, or excuse me, 31 nothing, then you're talking about an entirely different field, but they give up the touchdown. But the other side of that coin is if a couple of those Caden Costa field goals are turned into touchdowns, which you're talking about, sustaining drive being a bit better in the red zone or at least plus territory, then it's never really like, I mean, Well, you're adding eight points to it. So 35-14 feels a hell of a lot different than 27-14, where Liberty had the ball uh, trailing 27-14. You're like, is this game going to get weird? And credit to the defense, they got two pretty important stops in the second half. I thought the turnover on downs early in the fourth quarter when Liberty was basically across midfield and it was 27-14 was huge. And then whatever the initial time was, they got the ball back the, uh, after Acosta missed the short field goal. I thought that one was huge. I don't think that was the same drive. I'm pretty sure. But point being, like, they they did enough and made enough plays to keep that from actually being like, oh, boy, hold on to your butts for this last 10 minutes type of deal. I thought they were good all in all. It really was the two drives, in my opinion.
0: Right, yeah. No, de- they definitely were good. I will say I think this was the worst, the worst tackling game they've had all season. Um, by, uh, by a lot. I mean, Willis, it was taking four or five guys to get him down. They were, they were catching the running back every single time. You know, they weren't really initiating contact. Um, you know, Chance made a ton of plays, but I would say just from an actual just all-in-all game standpoint, this was probably one of his rougher games, just missing gaps, missing tackles. Um, but the defensive line played very, very well. They, they made him uncomfortable every time he stepped back to throw. Uh, I thought the DBs played fine. You know, they, they kind of played defense where they give so much space to these receivers that they're going to catch the, the easy five-yard outs and whatnot. But um, all in all, it, it's, it's hard to complain about it. And you gave up 14 points to a guy that a lot of people think is going to be a first-round pick. And if the offense kind of did their job, this game would have
1: been over
0: much, much sooner, like you said.
1: I think we'll start with offense. We kind of did the 10,000-foot view of how the defense played a little bit. offensively, because I I felt like as we were texting throughout the game yesterday, that was probably more of what I was asking about, whether it be the receivers or kind of what was going on the offensive line. So they come out the first series, and it's early game. I thought my eyes were playing tricks on me, but always try to write down in the first series who's on the offensive line. I know I can go back and get that information later, but it just kind of helps me keep up throughout the pace of the game or course of the game. And all of a sudden I see a 50 at right guard. And on the roster, Patrick Lucas is 50. And so I'm sitting there thinking, who the hell is this guy? What is going on? And, of course, it's Jalen Cunningham. He's switched numbers. I think we confirmed that. I think he was wearing 50. Maybe I'm just blind. But point being, Jalen –
0: Yeah, I think he was wearing 50 And Lucas when they were on offense and defense. Lucas was 50 yeah. on defense, Cunningham 50 on offense.
1: But right. And so was. I was like, who the hell is this guy? And then they, uh, I saw on Twitter that they announced him as a starter – that was a weird start to this game because no. we hit on it very briefly when he got moved to defense. That was kind of a footnote right towards the middle of camp or into camp. And you're like, yeah, I wouldn't expect much. I mean, it is what it is. I'm guessing this means two things. Cedric Melton and Jordan Rhodes had to be banged up right for this to happen. How shocked are you by this? Because. I don't even really know how to frame it. I guess like if if you knew they were banged up, would you have gone anywhere else first? Just what were your initial thoughts to him going in this game?
0: Well, clearly they're struggling with depth um, of guys who they think they can play and can contribute uh, because Cunningham had a terrible game and that's not even surprising. I I was shocked that he was in there. Um, My guess is, is Melton and Rhodes must've been hurt and, did Bryce Ramsey play a lot of center? I don't remember seeing a whole lot of him out there. It was there. strictly
1: Umana. I'll double-check while you're finishing your point, but I, I, I noticed that, too. I think it was strictly Umana.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, Kevin mentioned that they had a ton of uh, a ton of injuries and a ton of guys out that were initial starters, and, you know, you're assuming that, oh, yeah, like we know about the, the receivers, but didn't really know about Melton and Rhodes as much. Um, they They need to get back next week. Maybe it was just a thing where they weren't overly concerned about it this week and kind of get him healthy, but you don't want to see a whole lot of Cunningham out there. Uh, cause he, I mean, he's big and powerful, but that's, that's it. Um, he really struggles to move. And I think they're confident cause he's been there that he knows what to do. And at some point just knowing what to do is better than playing a guy you're not comfortable with, but th- those two need to get back and get healthy cause they've been uh, decent contributors this year.
1: Yeah. I, that was So Kiffin had that whole deal, his favorite hobby, as we picked up on. He mentioned, I think, on his SEC teleconference on Wednesday that all but two starters were injured. So he said nine of 11 guys had injuries. Now, obviously, that doesn't necessarily directly mean nine of the 11 guys aren't going to play or weren't going to play. But I was trying to, like, get down through it. I was like, what is he talking about nine? Like, of course, they have plenty of injuries, but I was trying to count through it. And I was like, is is there something we don't know about? And clearly, there was. I agree with you because you mentioned struggling with the lack of depth and guys that guys that they trust to play. But at the same time, if you are missing Rhodes and Melton, like there aren't that many teams that could go four or five deep at guard. Right. I mean, if it's like, that becomes like kind of the category of decimating injuries, if you were down Ben Brown and those two correct. And Warren's a little bit banged up. Like I, I guess it is a bit of a depth issue, but at certain point, like, I, I guess what I'm asking, how many teams do you think could go like four or five deep at guard like that?
0: Not, not many can do it with guys that they want out there <laughs> or they can, they trust out there. I mean, you can do it, but you're, you're not going to probably be overly satisfied with the play. Um, so that's, that's incredibly difficult. And I guess I understand why they moved him back. Cause he knows been there and knows the assignments, um, but that that's tough.
1: Yeah, that is tough to do. So, yeah, I guess they, they do need them back. That's very much clear. But then it was weird. Ole Miss breaks a play at the Jerry on Elyon on the first play of the game. I, that ended up being pretty important with how, how much they struggled to sustain drives later on in the game. So, let's talk about this. This is a question I wrote down yesterday. They scored the same thing kind of happened to Auburn. They weren't great in the first half offensively against Auburn. But given everything that went on in Corral exiting the game, the 17 points they had at halftime felt fine, right? But then the second half, they only scored three points. I mean, you're talking about two second halves in a row where they've yet to score a touchdown. Is there anything in any correlation to the fact that it seems like they can go on script? And we've talked about the script that plays before that guys have, and it's not always just the first drive, but – How far can that script take you? Because to me, it seems like they can go kind of on script for about a quarter, a quarter and a half almost. And then when you get into the middling parts of the game and it kind of becomes time to, you know, playmakers making plays, they're lacking that. And I think that's showing up a little bit in the second half. Do you think there's anything to the second half struggles um, kind of correlating to the injuries, particularly at skill positions and not having receivers to make plays down the field? Yeah,
0: I mean, the script is usually like first 15, maybe – 17 plays uh, and then after that it's really just your game plan and what you put in place ready for the week and everything and clearly I think it really just comes down to lack of being able to consistently run the ball um, I mean that's what this whole offense predicated off of is running the ball and then stressing people with the run and then opening up the deep shots and the RPOs and if you don't scare anybody running the ball then everything else kind of becomes moot and then it becomes even more uh, stressed out because you don't have your best playmakers on the outside that can just make a play whenever it's needed to be made. And uh, I mean, Plumlee and and Dennis like had both had good games, but there were plays left out there on the field, especially important ones. Um, and whenever you're off like that, and you're your second nine and second and eleven because you can't run the ball, and now you're forced to throw the ball, which I think they threw the ball. Um, more in the first half of this game than they have the whole year, it felt like. I mean, there were some drives where it was three straight drops for Matt, which we have not seen with this this team all year. Um, so it, it's, it's difficult, especially without the playmakers. Um, uh, they're just going to have to make shift for the rest of the season, depending on who's back and who's not, because it's just not very, uh, it's just not smooth. Whereas earlier in the year, I mean, even Alabama, like, you, know, they, they, you knew what they were doing, and they knew what they were doing, and they were executing it well. Uh, now they're not executing it well, and they're not doing what they want to do, which is going to make this a much diff- much more difficult game um, <laughs> against A&M, because those guys, the, you're not going to be running the ball very well in those guys if you're not healthy.
1: Yeah, it really is. That's a great point. It's a, really a double-edged sword, right, because they're they're missing so many guys at receiver – and they weren't already overly deep or really overly dynamic there to begin with. And then you're not running the ball. Well, that doesn't really bode. Well, like you mentioned, second and nine, second, and 11, that makes a huge difference. Particularly, like I said, when you're banged up, what do you think the issue is running the football beyond the obvious? Because even when they were healthy at, uh, at, on the offensive line, it didn't seem like they were running the ball on the interior. Great. Always. Anyway, Now, of course, I imagine that's just amplified by the injuries, but just beyond obviously having a Jalen Cunningham and uh, injuries on the offensive line, what do you think the struggles are running the ball? Because it's been weird with the carries dispersion. It's been a completely different story every game, how they use the three guys. They've run the ball well in spurts, but it just doesn't feel like they've sustained it over, you know, two and a half, three quarters, or four or five drives in a row or something like that, really in about a month. No, that's not fair. They ran it pretty well against LSU. Last two games, that has not been the case, I should say.
0: I think they're struggling getting, with, like, getting set up with this tempo. Uh, I feel like they are not doing the tempo like they used to do, so they're not getting the cheap yardage you usually get when you line up there and snap it quickly. I think the offensive linemen are kind of confused sometimes, along with the receivers, just, just getting lined up and getting ready to go. Uh, they haven't gotten a great push all year. But at least some of those games, their their tempo was so in rhythm and so fast that you would get those cheap yardage and break a hole if someone missed a missed an assignment on defense. But now that you're not going as fast because you just got guys out there that aren't used to being out there, you can't just go at hyper speed. And that's along the offensive line and the receivers. And I think that all of that kind of comes together and makes you makes you struggle to run the ball when the whole idea is that you're lining up there, snapping it four yards, and then now you're second and six, and it's like, okay, we can do so much from here. Whereas now they're getting lined up, and I mean, there's so many penalties on just false starts on the receivers and the offensive line that you're just never really in rhythm, and this is such a rhythm offense, and I think that's the biggest issue with them running the ball.
1: So just to add context to what I was trying to look up earlier, the – we don't have the snap counts yet. Uh, Rebel Grove, if you're a subscriber, you can view that. It uh, usually comes out on Mondays and Tuesdays, but the football athletic site does put up the participation report. It's pretty much anyone who played in the game, pretty straightforward. There, there's listing both Jordan Rhodes and Bryce Ramsey as having played. Of course, there's a lot of real estate between having played and playing a lot and making an impact, of course. So they're saying they played in the game, but there was clearly not a lot of either one of them. I don't remember Ramsey being out there at all, and I was operating under the assumption that Rhodes did not play. So if they played, it was very minimal.
0: Sure. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, I, I try to look to see who's playing when I'm watching these games, but I can't say I, I can see everybody, of course. But uh, I, even, even so, I don't think it was much of an impact. It felt like Cunningham was out there most of the game.
1: Yeah, and so to, not to derail what we you're talking about with the running game, but it it's interesting because like I guess what do you think they can do about it? Like, what do you think they can do going forward? Because you're about to face a very stout front seven, as you mentioned next week. There's the rushing numbers are really worse than they like look because you got the 76 yards on one play with Ely. Like it was not great after that. I think Ole Miss finishes with 128 rushing yards for the game. I'm going to look up real quick, but I think that's on like 40 carries somewhere around there. What do you think they can do differently to try to get sustained some sort of running game? Because you're right. It's affecting everything else. It's affecting the tempo. Like it, it's a lot of different things. Uh, I like we've made the analogy that the running game is what puts the gas in the car, even though it's flashy as, you know, it can be seeing Matt Corral throw seeds and uh, you know, them throwing the ball up and down the field, the running, the running game really is just kind of what makes everything else in this offense work. So what do you think they can do different?
0: It's a great question. I think it's the most important question they have at practice this week. I also think just not having Matt as a real threat to run the ball really takes away from just their creativity and ability to do different things. Uh, Because they can just key in on the running back because Matt is clearly hobbled and I don't think that's going to change much this season. Uh, I really think just the quick passing game is going to have to kind of supplement some of the running games, maybe some more screens. Uh, some more bubbles and kind of just quick quick hitters. Um, but I, they're going to have to figure out a way. Maybe they just kind of throw in some different kind of run schemes, some counters, some outside zones, more of the Drummond and uh, Plumley uh, jet sweeps. Uh, I, it, they're going to have to find a lot of different ways to move the ball.
1: Seven carries for Snoop Connor and only three for Henry Paris. Jerry and Ely leads with 10 it's it's this is one of the more fascinating things to follow and it may just be completely aimless because there may not necessarily be a concrete rhyme or reason to all of this on a week by week basis or like over a long-term basis but what did you think of how the running backs were used because you saw very little of Parrish Snoop just didn't have very much success and I imagine there's a pretty direct correlation there with them struggling to block particularly in the interior as that's kind of his thing just how what did you think of how the carries were? like divvied up and just the use of the three, because that remains a mystery each week, it seems like, because really yeah. non-factor it, last week.
0: It's impossible to understand what they're doing with the uh, the running back rotations. I, I, I don't think I've ever remember a team like this where you've got three really productive, good running backs and their carries are just completely, just almost made up every single week. <laughs> it's and, it. and it's not even like a necessarily a negative um, you know, that they trust all three of them. And I think all three of them are, have always been very productive and played well this year. I mean, Ely's kind of had a little weird downstretch, but he shows you what he can do when he's playing well. Um, I don't know what to make of it. Because even Snoop, Snoop had like, you know, you said seven carries. And like three of those were on the last three plays of the game where they were right. like, should have just kneeled the ball. I don't know what was going on there. I had that right now um, to
1: get to, Mitch. I didn't understand that. I,
0: I don't think there's really anything to see about it that's like, that big of a deal. I I just thought it was kind of funny or kind of, kind of weird. Um, they're just going to keep mixing and matching the whole year. And I guess they kind of go with the hot hand. And I wouldn't say Ely was necessarily hot today, but at least early he looked like he was going to have some success and and did. Uh, and I think that's just kind of what they've been doing these games. It's, you know, this game is Snoop is really, you know, running well early. They'll keep it with him and they'll mix it and perish. And uh, I mean, it's just a – it's kind of bizarre. I really don't exactly know why they had the rotation. It is.
1: Yeah. And just to kind of bottom line, it, all of it, they run it 28 times. So it wasn't 40, but running for 142 yards against that Liberty front, that certainly does not bode well going into next week. That puts another emphasis on needing, you know, basically i don't know if it's Rhodes or melton or either one or some combination of both but basically that's not have Jalen cunningham out there would be beneficial to them next week is probably the best way to put it so i think you're right i think it's the most important thing they need to figure out next week because if they're sort of one-dimensional like that and playing it's not even behind the sticks but just in second and medium and second and long is probably the best way to go about it it's that second and seven to second and 12 range I don't like their chances of success. Like those first down runs in that tempo thing is going to have to come back for them to have uh, any sort of shot, I think, against Texas A&M, because, you know, for all their flaws, and I think they're paying, playing a lot better football over the last month. I think that state game and then the bye week they had or whatever was kind of a turning point for them. But that's a stout defensive front, and that's going to be tough to run the ball on. And uh, you talk about a game that – I don't think it'll go this way, but if they can't run it and they're, you know, having to kind of search and find different things. I mean, that could, that could get out of hand. Like you could fall behind quickly. And then when I mean, you have seen them try to chase games, it doesn't bode well.
0: Yeah. Because I mean, not only is their front seven, incredibly athletic, but their DBs are long. And it's been an issue getting open this whole year with some of these backup receivers. And it's not going to be much different against these A.M. guys. They're, that whole defense is long and athletic and quick. Uh, they're incredibly tough. If I mean, obviously Georgia is ridiculously good this year, and out, I mean, AM is, in my opinion, just not that far behind them from a defensive standpoint. They're not obviously that good, but they've got the the horses to at least be comparable day to day with with someone like Georgia. They're they're incredibly
1: talented. That's why. That's the only reason. Not the. O- Yeah, I would find saying that. That was the only reason they were ranked so high in the preseason because they were replacing, I think, either four or five starters on the offensive line. I believe it was four. And they didn't know who was going to play quarterback for them. So that defense, particularly that defense front, like I think was the reason they were ranked so high. So that's going to have to get solid next week for sure. It's just a matter of how healthy Ole Miss can be. And I do wonder, kind of the last injury note on the offensive side, I do wonder how much of the – if this was a AM game was this week, how many guys could have played and how many they held out as a precautionary measure banking on the fact that they could get through Liberty. Like, I wonder, I'm curious to see how much of that there was like, could drum could have Drummond have gone if it were, uh, you know, an SEC game that mattered could either one of those offensive linemen. I wonder, I'm curious how much of that was precautionary.
0: Yeah. I'm sure at least part of it was, I mean, Kiffin came out with that quote saying like he, you know, he used to push guys when he was younger, but now, you know, with the NFL and stuff like that, he doesn't. You can read that quote into a lot of different ways when he's talking yeah. about Braylon, um, who, did play <laughs> today, who did play today. Um, yeah. And, uh, but I think part of that is true. He's like, I'm not going to push these guys um, against a team like Liberty. And they, they had enough guys out there to win the game pretty handily. And, and they did in, in the long run, uh, they did handle them uh without at least too much stress uh even though they were missing some guys i think you'll see some guys back i don't know if you're gonna see like everyone keeps talking about mingo i just i don't get that
1: i don't think that it doesn't sound like he'd come back i'm with you
0: yeah maybe this was alabama he'd come back because that's just what they do they those guys tear their acls and they're back in like three months um because they're just different uh I, I that would be pretty shocking. I know there's some talk about him not having a boot on and everything, and that'd be great if he did. It'd be nice to have all three of them, but I, I, I'm not counting on that by any means.
1: If you think about it, he had surgery, correct? I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm correct in that assessment. Yeah, he did. So that's not that long ago. That's the Alabama game was October first, and that was the first game he missed. So even if it happened, you know, five six days before that, whatever the case may be. That's, again, not a doctor here, but you're talking about playing five weeks off of a foot surgery. That doesn't seem realistic. Not only is it not just being healthy, but getting back in like – I hate the word yeah, football That's shape, what I'm saying. It it's it's not – like, yeah Getting it's ready not to play healthy. a football game.
0: It's not about the actual injury. It, it's the, the football shape. Because, I mean, I'm sure he's working out and trying to be in the best shape he can under the circumstances, but that doesn't mean he's in – uh, playing 45 snaps of a game, football shape, along with definitely not being 100%. Um, him coming back is not impossible, but is it
1: likely? I would say no. Agreed. And that's a good transition to the other part of this offensive thing I wanted to get to. The story of the day, I think, outside of um, you know the weird deal on the offensive line, was clearly Dennis Jackson and John Rice and We can start with Dennis. It felt like he got the full Dennis experience on – Uh, Saturday did you not like there were a couple plays where he flashed some really nice things the speed is real you know Corral hits him on the deep touchdown he also has the false start to where he's not completely set on that crucial third down that they ended up converting granted but I think he was amongst the groups he had that sequence on that fourth fourth quarter series where Ole Miss was driving and could have really put away the game and it's like second and 20 or something and Corral throws one in Plumlee and they get like 19 of it back. So it's third and one. They try to go quickly. He's not set. False start becomes third and six. They pick that up, but the very next four down sequence, fourth and seven, they're getting ready to go for it and they call false start, but they say not all 11 players are set. Clearly the receivers are not set. You could see that in the TV screen. You could blame it on a number of guys. So there was some bad in there as well. And then you had the drop, but he, At the end of the day, seven catches or six catches for 126 is six catches for 126. They needed a contribution, and he provided that in spades.
0: Yes. He – you definitely got the full experience with him. But I also do think that you saw what can happen for a guy like Dennis, which is more of a rep guy, where if he's out there playing every single series, he gets into the groove of the game and is just more comfortable – um, and he had a tough drop early, even though Matt definitely threw that ball behind him. Uh, Danis just needs to settle into the zone instead of sprinting right through it. But you, you saw the talent and why me and even Kiffin after the game have said that, like, they're, they're confident this kid I've been waiting for him to kind of break out a little bit because he is legit speed. He can catch when he's open. He's been struggling making contested catches. That's always been his biggest issue, like, over the middle – and everything like that. But he played very, very well. He did, he, he gave you the deep threat you needed to make them uh, at least respect it. Um, he, he's incredibly difficult to defend across the field. So there's crossing routes. I mean, they're not keeping up with him. And um, he, he made the tough catch in that deep ball. I mean, he, he did a lot of really, really good things. He's tough after the catch, um, just has to kind of work on the simple things. And that's always been the biggest issue with a young receiver and especially Dennis is just processing, knowing where you need to be, not overthinking, but just being faster, not just playing fast, but thinking fast. And if he can get that done, uh, especially now that he's playing more, I think he will. I think you're going to see him be a much bigger contributor um, for the rest of the year.
1: Yeah. I mean, all in all, right. At the end of the day, I can't remember what I wrote in the observations per se, but I left that thinking this was a good day for Dennis Jackson from a confidence standpoint and a good day for Ole Miss because – if it had been a complete train wreck again, it's like, when is this ever going to happen? So like, it wasn't perfect, but that has to give him some confidence and you finally kind of saw it and saw him contribute. Now it would mean a whole hell of a lot more if that happened, you know, next week against A&M or something like that, but it's at least a start and something you can build off of the quote last week after the Auburn game that Kiffin had about receivers, not lining up knowing what to do and where to go really ruffled some feathers. I saw a lot of message board conversation about it. And I texted you yesterday as I was writing about it, trying to get more context about what exactly goes into that. Like how, you know, the novice football brain of mine would be like, how does a guy that's been in this offense for two years and been playing college football for three years, still not know what to do and where to go. And you hit on this a little bit, just in your lap, what you said a second ago, there's a lot more that goes into that, right? This offense moves fast. You're talking about the processing and like, I guess, kind of knowing what to do and where to go very quickly. I, I guess, kind of give me your best articulation of how hard that is to do and why it takes some guys longer to pick it up. Is it really that complex to play receiver in this offense?
0: I'm not going to sit here and say it's like playing a receiver in Sean Payton's offense because okay. that, that's, 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 that's not, let, let's not over exaggerate how difficult it is. But it's it just, it's a guy by guy deal. You know, you've got some guys who, doesn't matter who it is, that just process. Just like it's like math, you know, some people get math or some people, you know, get football. You know, right. you wouldn't think James Winston is a very smart guy. But going through the draft process, all of the people that went and had the individual meetings with them were like, OK, this guy understands football as much as Peyton Manning did. Um, so some of these receivers and I guess we can talk about the young guys. Uh, maybe they it's just an individual basis, like, you know, they just don't fully understand it as well and yes you can there can be some coaching aspects where they can do things uh better and make it easier and um that's kind of a little cop out because at some point it's on it's on the player to figure it out um, but it's a difference between guys who just get it and guys who are kind of rep guys who just need to be in there doing it over and over again in order to understand it and it's not i'm not Saying, like, you know, some of these kids are stupid, because that's not that's not what I'm saying at all. That that's a hundred percent not what I'm saying. So do not get that twisted. No, but some people sense. just yeah, process football differently. And sometimes it's harder to understand, you know, exactly what your responsibilities are, especially when you're playing in an offense that goes as fast as Ole Miss wants to go. That just you know expedites how much more you have to understand about your assignments throughout a game. And I thought that despite a few boneheaded penalties, he really seemed to be playing faster and processing faster and being where he needed to be. Um, And that's a good start for him. And I think it was really nice to see him being able to play a full game and seeing exactly what he can bring to the team when he's out there. And I think the reason he hasn't been able to get these kinds of reps and opportunities is because He hasn't been able to know where to be. And it's really as simple as that. But you do see what he can be when he's got it all figured out.
1: Yeah, it's it's I know what you're getting at. And I don't want to put words in your mouth here, but I I imagine it's a similar line to anything else. I I kind of it depends on the task and depends on what I'm doing. But I kind of have shade streaks of both and just like how I learn things in general. Like if everything in my life was like everything I had to learn how to do was given to me in one of those black and white instruction sets, like the set step-by-step thing, that like, you get at Ikea or something, like you're putting something together, or even something as small as like a toy, you would think I'm the dumbest asshole that's ever walked in this world. I'm just not going to do it. But if it's something that I learned by doing two to three times, I can get the hang of it pretty quickly and learn. I have to learn by doing it three, four times in a row versus if you're just handing me a like instruction set to read, I guess the football equivalent would be the playbook and know where to do. I'm not going to do it. I can't put together things that I up. Like I just, I don't learn that way. And I think like there's probably some similarities to that in football because he's not getting that many reps, right? You mean your second string or third string and it's clearly not coming in a game. So it's just like anything else. A lot of times you need you know, guys to go in there and do it. And aside from what? To Austin P, like, has there been another game? Oh, well, because almost had Louisville. You had this weird Liberty game. There hasn't been, other than Austin P, and I guess parts of Liberty, the game where you've let the second and third stringers play an entire half. They haven't had that this year, and I think that would have helped with some of the receivers, don't you think?
0: Yeah, I think it definitely would because, you know, playing in a game is, is not the same as practice. You know, you, you get all the reps and practice and everything. With the you know, the pressure is different. Um, it's not much different because I mean, that's when you, how you play in practice is how you perform the game, and it's how, where you show the coaches that you're ready for it. And I think that really sums up a lot of the stories. Is some of these guys aren't playing because it's pretty clear in practice they've shown they're not ready. That that's these guys aren't just you don't just go throw a kid out there and be like all right, let's see what he can do today. That that you don't do that in college football. That's how you lose games if you just you know just throwing caution to the wind and saying, this kid's super talented, let's just throw him out there. Because if he doesn't know what he's doing, then it it wrecks the whole rhythm of the offense. Um, And, yeah, they haven't been able to get a lot of game reps out of these guys because they have had a lot of games that have been out of hand at all. Um, So it's good to see now, and, uh, I mean, I'm sure you'll see at least, hopefully, a little bit against Vanderbilt. Um, but the, the, a lot of these guys just have to perform better in practice because that, that's where you show the coaching staff and, and everything that you're ready to play and you know exactly what you're doing um, because they're not just going to give you the opportunity if you don't earn it.
1: Right. It's, it reminds me in some senses, like kind of making the point about not having the typical couple cupcake games. The first year when Shay Patterson was here and he was sitting behind uh, Chad Kelly or whatever, or I can't even remember who it was. Maybe I'm using the wrong example, but the four game rule where you have the quarterback come in. It's like, can you play him in four games? If they almost had one of those this year, I'm not sure there have been four games where this kid could have played in. Like, I think, I don't know if you could exhaust the four game threshold for any backup at this point, if that was like a concern, if that makes any sense at all, but yeah, so it was good to see. I thought it was at the end of the day of net positive, clearly for Dennis Jackson. The other story is Plumlee and some of his numbers are a little skewed. He has seven catches for 110. I, I, couldn't go back and tell you. I guess I, if I really want to, check could add it up. Some of the, a couple of these are the touch pass like stats, whatever. Like it's basically the sweep, but clearly, if you drop it, it's an incomplete pass out of a fumble type of deal, right? But he showed enough. I know he's very much still a work in progress, but he hasn't played receiver a long time. But at the end of the day, 100 yards, 100 yards, seven catches is seven catches. Like I wrote yesterday, I think it wouldn't, there's enough there to where it wouldn't stun me if he became a pretty consistent and productive sec receiver by. By the end of his career, did as your thoughts on the Plumlee thing at receiver change at all based off yesterday or anything you've seen this year?
0: No, not really. I, I think he is very productive running. You know, not very difficult routes. Whenever he's just running across the field using his speed to get open, uh, I think his hands had were better, except for of course the most crucial play he had was a slant route where he just dropped the ball on on third and eight, which was killer because they were just gone for it on fourth and one. Uh, I I think he's a good enough player that you need to – he has to be incorporated some way, especially with all the injuries. Am I going to say that he's, like, turned this corner and now he's going to go play in the NFL and be, you know, Wes Welker? No. Yeah. But he had a good game, and they needed him to have a good game just because of all the the injuries they've had. And, um, I mean, he brings an element that – is always useful in that speed, um, so it was good to see him play really well.
1: Yeah, and I, if you, I didn't prepare a eulogy, but I feel pre- like I probably should because the plumley package can officially that topic can be put underground six feet under. It needs to be removed from every radio show lineup. I probably am not bringing it up again, other than to troll some folks. Kevin planted the seed on Reb Talk on Thursday. Got asked a question. There was some kind of behind the scenes rumbling I'd say where you're just talking to people around there kind of not clear clearly like I'm not a reporter anymore like off the record type stuff just kind of back channel conversation that you know they might try to preserve Corral and their plummy's is going to play a big role guess what I think he had one snap there and it got blown up uh, are you ready to attend this funeral because I think this is officially dead he is not going to play quarterback anymore
0: no it's dead um, and of course the one play they put him back there he reads it completely wrong which is feel like he does that all the time especially last year when he had the opportunity to play quarterback he just never hands it off he just always takes it um doesn't matter what the what the defensive end is doing whether he's <laughs> I love that strategy
1: though. like I like that mindset that nope this is all me pal like I know this yeah. is a read option but actually it's a QB sweep
0: yep it, that is exactly what it's going to be um so I was honestly surprised he even got back there and um I think it's good to put on film because now A and M is going to have to waste at least an hour. <laughs> Jimbo's <laughs> going to waste an hour at some point throughout his week, uh, game planning for that. So th- there's a small positive to it, but yeah, I think that's done. It- it's dead.
1: That's really like the, I wasn't overly impressed by him at receiver, but again, at the end of the day, like he, almost Miss needed those 110 yards. That is for that is for damn sure. So I don't know. Uh, you did get a spoiler of what the season will be next week. They uh, they got plenty of content. I feel like they've been spread thin over the last couple of weeks with uh, Plumley content, but they've got all kinds of stuff to put out.
0: there. Yeah, well, and I've said this from the beginning. Don't don't blame Plumley. You that.
1: were early on this. It's the it's, the, it's the other way yeah. around.
0: It is it is definitely the other way around. They they want him on the screen, and yeah, I'm sure he enjoys it a little bit. But he's not over there like every day during the marketing meetings. Like, okay, like I think we got a really good thing thing going here. Um, I'm gonna do something <laughs> like super funny at practice, and y'all come y'all come check it out. That that's not what's happening there. They they love him, and I uh, why? I mean, he's good on camera, but
1: I mean. I, I, I know what you're getting at. Like
0: he's on there a lot,
1: but I, <laughs> no, I know it's, I don't, I, I don't even really watch the season very often. I, I haven't really watched it much since I got out of college. I do know a lot of guys that work on the season or have in the past, fantastic what they do. Like they deserve all the awards they get because they do great work, but you were early on that all the way back in the summer. Um, You know, when I worked in house at the athletic department, the day, the morning of the season coming out, everyone involved in like in house, sits down and watches it to make sure, you know, everything's approved and there's, you know, there's no like recruiting violations or something, all kinds of weird NCA stuff is in it. Uh, so you're saying you don't think Plumlee is in that room when they're watching it the morning of being like scene three, 24 minutes in that's left side. My hair doesn't look as great. So let's, let's nix that. Maybe we get me in at the end, singing, playing piano in, pulled down out in a month. You don't think that's happening.
0: Yeah, no, because we've been in that room, <laughs> whatever they are doing it, trying to spot, make sure there's no analyst coaching in the videos and
1: stuff like that. So, no, there's not exactly a whole lot of player input there. Ole Miss goes up 24 to nothing, and it really felt like this game – I made this point yesterday on Chase, the post-game Zoom we did. This game reached – you know, there was a chance – like we talked about, you know, can Ole Miss get up and kind of sit on them, get up 25, 30 points, get some guys out of there and rest? Or was this game with the first-round quarterback potentially in Malik Willis going to get weird – to me, it reached, like, the precipice of both happening, but they weren't able to get over the edge. You have Ole Miss 24-0, gets a stop, goes up 31 nothing. This sucker's over. I don't know if they'd arrested guys, but, like, you're pretty much just – you're not watching really for the result. And I know the game was never really hanging in the balance, but it reached the other side of that too. Ole Miss was not able to put the hammer down enough to get guys out of the game, but then it kind of reached the other thing after the back-to-back touchdowns where Liberty has the ball and is at least driving to go up 27 14 you know someone got in an argument not an argument but someone kind of clapped back at me for in my notes post game notes for saying the word survive because they didn't feel like the game was ever hanging in the balance I don't necessarily disagree and that's not really what I meant by it but you've watched enough Ole Miss football if that thing gets to 27 and 21 with seven minutes to go you're a fumble away from everyone wanting to go pull their hair out or jump off a bridge like that got closer yeah getting weird than people think yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean want to it felt like it.
0: they handled them, but there was definitely – you're you're one play away from being like, oh, shit, like, <laughs> you know, is this really going to happen here? Um, but, I mean, to the defense's credit, they kind of shut that down, you know, throughout the second half, uh, later in the second half for sure. Um, it, it's just – it's kind of the culmination of what we talked about. It's just the inability to run the ball will, will put you in positions like this against any team with a pulse. And Liberty at least has a pulse um, – so that's why i think it was get teetering on tragedy <laughs> but so, it never really got there
1: last thing on that shockingly i got derailed when i brought this up earlier but why do you think this like the they clearly have had struggles running the ball but why do you think that's really manifesting itself in the second half why do you think they've gone two back-to-back weeks without scoring a touchdown in the second half whereas early in the game even though it may not always be great they're at least putting up points and kind of at least looking more competent do you think it's as simple as not sustaining the run and going off script like why do you think that's happening in the second half
0: I mean there could be a multitude of reasons Uh, I I really don't know that they they just I think that their lack of going as fast as they have been during the season where you're getting these easier yardages uh, really kind of takes a toll on you and just the injuries in the interior of the offensive line, not being able to get a real push on anybody, I think is just kind of beginning to manifest itself uh, pretty evidently throughout the season that they just are really struggling interiorly. And you can, I've said a a ton of times on here, you can survive with below average interior line play, but that doesn't mean you're going to be better. (laughs) You're just, it's not going to kill you. And I think it is not killing them, but definitely hampering their ability just to sustain the ability to run the ball throughout four quarters.
1: Speaking of halftime and adjustments, uh, freeze I thought called a much better game in the second half and the offense looked better. So it became clear early on that they knew that the poor, I don't know what was said when they were watching Liberty's right tackle in particular on film, but I bet they were excited. Uh, Ole Miss, I mean, Liberty couldn't block Ole Miss and they didn't really stand much of a chance as a result of it. Sam Williams feasted. He breaks the single season sack record. He's now at 10 and a half. I think he had two yesterday. Um, Cedric Johnson had two, you know, Sam Williams deservedly got a lot of the Sean. I thought Cedric Johnson was really disruptive. He busted a couple of double teams. They seemed like he got double team almost as much as Williams did. That's very much a guess that could be wrong, but I just noticed it a lot. I thought he played really nicely. And then of course he. Leveled Malik Willis there on that one play where he beat the guy pretty pretty straight up. So when they say come in, it bothers me when the announcers say come in untouched, because that's not that's kind of underselling what Johnson did. Like the reason he came in untouched and he was technically touched, was just he just beat that guy so bad to his left, or I guess the yeah. was right, and just came in by. So like it wasn't a like that makes it sound like a misblocking assignment. It's like, no, he just kicked his ass that quickly. What do you think of the defensive line? Play did anything stick out in particular. I just thought those two like they're kind of becoming a pretty formidable uh, edge duo there.
0: They, they really are. And it's, it's really, it's really fun to see a guy like Cedric Johnson, mm-hmm. who was so under-recruited kind of turn into exactly what you thought he could be.
1: You, you had a know, lot of him. said Johnson stock, right? You were involved in that pretty heavily.
0: Most certainly. Yeah. I mean, he was, he had one of the better camp showings. We we saw the entire time I worked there um, and we you know thought he was going to be a really good player. And last year, there was multiple times during team meetings on Mondays where Kiffin was like, "Who is 33, and why isn't he playing more?" Because you just see him at practice, and you see him when he gets there in the games, and he's just disruptive. And now he's even bigger, stronger, faster, and he's getting into a more of a groove. And he, he had a hell of a game, and you know Sam Williams just dominates inferior talent, and that's proved itself again this week. And uh, that's it's huge because I think really. Even in, like, 19 where, you know, McIntyre's defense was definitely at least um, formidable, which I think is probably too nice to say, but they, they had some players and they, they made plays. This is the first time in a long time where you've had real pass rush from an all Miss defense since, like, Marquise Haynes in 16, where, like, you can go out there and there's a chance they're going to get a sack on every play. And they, they've played incredibly well. They've been better in the run. I, I still think uh, Sam is incredibly inconsistent uh, as a run defender uh, just because he's probably just exhausted from rushing the passer every play. But um, I, I think they've gotten better at that. But most importantly, I mean, they, they are giving every offensive line they play fits, and that's huge.
1: Nine sacks yesterday, uh, that really – really set the tone I thought for the game early and they were very aggressive in bringing pressure and it not like they needed to bring a ton of guys, but Durkin was pretty aggressive early on in the games, kind of getting in the face of Malik Willis. And I imagine that's something as simple as he probably saw there. Like, Ole Miss has receiver problems. Liberty's receivers suck. Those not guys perfect. were terrible. And yeah. I imagine they identified that. And they're like, look, we can kind of leave our, our secondary in you know, some less than optimal spots that maybe we wouldn't normally do just because these guys are brutal. Um, The bad side of that was, well, actually, I want to do a couple of minutes on Malik Willis because you get the classic like fan thing, like first round pick. What I was actually somewhat impressed with the guy. I mean, to me, the game was the scouting report to a T. He's a good runner when he has space and he has time. He's slippery and elusive. Um, He does have a propensity where his decision-making is not always the greatest. That first interception to AJ Finley. It was like, I mean, that looked like a pump and go and he was going to throw it no matter what. Like, I mean, he looked at that thing the entire time and it looked as bad as you know, the read was, um, but he threw a couple passes, particularly in the second half where I was like, damn, that was the dime." And if nothing else, he's tough as nails. That kid kept getting hit and kept getting hit and kept getting back up and had a calm demeanor. And actually, Chase made this point, but I was I agree because I kind of had the same thought like positive body language. I mean, though, much as he got hit, he didn't get demoralized. And so I was actually, I don't know what he'll be as an NFL prospect. That's not really something I'm good at evaluating, but I actually left that game somewhat impressed with him from a toughness standpoint. And when he was allowed to kind of show off his talent by not having, you know, four guys in his face every time, I thought he was actually pretty good. What did you think of Malik? Willis watching him for four quarters.
0: I think there was a lot of pros and cons, and it was, I was actually really excited to watch him because I obviously do not watch a lot of Liberty football games. Um, early on, he he really struggled. He uh, looked incredibly uncomfortable in the pocket. Uh, it was really just eyeing on receivers. I mean, the one, the, the, the interception of Finley was just a classic, just bait interception, just something you don't want to see. Um, the pros, though, I mean, this kid is tough as hell getting his ass kicked all game, and he knew it probably coming in, that offensive line was not good. And he's like, this is going to be tough. And not once did you ever see him frustrated. He wasn't frustrated with the coaches, not his offensive line, not his receivers. He just kept playing. Um, he is not overly fast, but shockingly quick for a kid his size. I mean, he really – I mean, Robinson and Chance had him dead to rights multiple times and just couldn't get him down. Um, and that's definitely something you can build on. Arm-wise, he's kind of a weird evaluation, at least from the one game I watched, where when he's kind of in the pocket, he really struggles kind of just looking, processing, and, like, striking. You see sometimes, like, it's just a long windup, and he gets it out there. But when he's on the run – I mean, he made one play where he's rolling out to his right and just throws a rope 25 yards for a first down right to the guy late in the game. Um, That was super impressive. Um, He's a major project, but he definitely has some talent. I think he's clearly got the right attitude. And I think, you know, pro scouts are probably thinking, you know, this kid definitely has ways to go. But just from a competitive toughness standpoint, which is incredibly – big part of being a nfl quarterback as i'm watching jimmy g here not be competitive and not be tough um yeah i, I came away at least relatively impressed uh, considering what he had around him
1: i'm now, glad i wasn't alone in that because yeah. i thought the same thing i mean you mentioned the the uh, kind of quintessential positive body language thing was when uh cedric johnson just destroyed him like he laid down on the ground for just a second i was like is he dead And he just literally got up and kind of did the classic, like brushed himself off. Like I guess he had grass somewhere, just like kind of casually walked back to the huddle. Like he didn't, wasn't slow to get up. Like it was, it was pretty quick. So I was impressed for the most part. Second half Liberty does come out, runs the football much better. I was a little shocked their run pass splits from half to half were not what I thought they would be. It was 27 runs in the first half, 28 in the second half. What did you think they did? They clearly had more success running the football in the second half, and their offense moved better as a result. And so, what did you think they did from a running standpoint differently in the second half? Because it wasn't terrible in the first half. They were decent between the 20s. They just kind of stunk in the red zone, which was actually not their MO. They've been pretty efficient in the red zone if you look at the numbers. What did you think was different about the second half about them being able to finish drives and move the ball more consistently than they did in the first?
0: I think it had a lot more to do with Ole Miss on defense. I think they can't, Ole Miss came out in the second half, was incredibly vanilla on defense on those first uh, few drives and, like, really the whole third quarter. And then eventually Durkin was like, what, what are we doing here? Like, this kid cannot beat us with his arm. Um, these receivers aren't getting open. They can't block. And he brought pressure on, like, almost every single play, what it felt like, the, almost the entire fourth quarter. And that really stymied the run game, the pass game. It, it just – it killed everything um and I, I mean they had success running the ball and it was a typical Ole Miss kind of you know playing the three two six just three down linemen and they, they were just running through the numbers and getting what they needed to get and like I said it was a terrible tackling game from Ole Miss which helped them uh get to where they needed to go um but I think it was just more of a, a scheme difference with Ole Miss once we started you know putting some more guys in the box and blitzing and being a little more exotic the the pass and run game was pretty much dead for them the whole fourth quarter
1: which is kind of what you'll probably see next week like we talked about particularly early in the year when this defense wasn't playing as good a football that yeah it's been bad but they have been been but don't break enough in terms of getting down when the field gets shorter to give Ole Miss a chance in virtually every game I think that was kind of our our rationale for the whole three can three, two, six thing work. I think that was after the Arkansas game where they gave up 50 something points. Isn't that kind of just going to be the MO next week? Cause A&M is going to run the ball very well between the twenties. I mean, I did I don't think there's any way that Ole Miss ends up, you know, holding them like 130 yards rushing on 35 carries or something. Like that. That's not going to happen. If they are going to win next week, it's going to kind of look like that, right? They're going to give up a lot of yards, but it's going to be a matter of what they do in the red zone from the, you know, 30 yard line and in, right. That red zone ish area. That to me is their blueprint to win. If they play well there, they'll have a chance If they don't, then they're, they're sunk.
0: Yeah, that exactly. They're going to have to really, really force field goals and not touchdowns because Jimbo won't be, I would imagine he won't be as aggressive as you see some teams around the league. Um, and they've got, I mean, A&M, their offensive line is probably not – it's not their best. Um, they're young, but at this point they're not that young anymore. And they, right. they've gone to play well, um, especially last week. Uh, Calzada is going to be at least <laughs> relatively injured because he really screwed up his shoulder. I think that was sheer adrenaline. Uh, you're going to have to force that kid to beat you. And if he does, you know, that, that kind of is what it is. But you can't let Spiller and a Shane just rip you down you know, throughout the whole game, you you will lose that way. Especially just time of possession. Ole Miss's inability to run the ball at this point, uh, you're going to have to stop the run for them and really hope that you can manufacture a running game because that's going to be a really really tough game.
1: Liberty got Ole Miss pretty good on time of possession, particularly in the second half. I don't know what the final is. I can look it up pretty quick. I think I have the stat broadcast up, but that was like. Both the good and the bad, for the Ole Miss and Liberty standpoint, like Liberty, the second half seemed like kind of the blueprint that A and M will have next week to do. Like the beat Ole Miss, and on the flip side of that, the first half Ole Miss defense, aside from the pass rush deal, was kind of like kind of the blueprint to beat A and M, where Ole Miss was pretty good in the red zone. They got a turnover. Granted, one of them was gifted. The two turnovers around the red zone, and that seems to be kind of kind of what'll make or break make or break them next week. Uh, just another note I had written down defensively. A.J. Finley had two picks in this game. Uh, You know, the last one was him, uh, Malik Lewis, just throwing it up at the end of the game to try to make a play. But, again, whatever, around the football, you pick it off. But that is back-to-back games with double-digit tackles for him. He gets two picks in this game. Uh, The term that you used a couple weeks ago that stuck with me, that you know, productive player doesn't always mean good player. Have you noticed anything for him in particular? It seems like he's at least becoming more comfortable and he's around the football a lot.
0: Yeah. I mean, he had to play early on. Uh, he played a ton as a freshman. He was truly one of my favorite recruits ever. He's a, uh, a St. Paul's kid from mobile or St. Paul's. Yeah. I think it's St. Paul. Yeah, Paul's from mobile. And that was summer All's area. And, you know, I know his family. Well, he he's one of my favorite kids on the team, and he's just an incredibly smart football player. And from the second he got on campus really just understood exactly what he needed to do. And he is, almost always in the right spot um he he's not you know Earl Thomas back there you know he's not the most athletic safety you have but he's an incredibly smart player who understands coverage as well he's willing to come up and be a tackler and be a force player uh, I think he's a really uh he's a really important player for this defense um he can they can do a lot with him and, you know, letting Springer do be on the other side and Reese do his, his thing, knowing you've got a guy who's competent in the back is huge.
1: He was one of those guys that played a lot as a freshman in 19. I wrote about him a lot throughout that kind of very boring year, but the defense played well, particularly in the second half of the year, and he he, they, he had to play a lot. And that season, what I remember about it is the secondary really, really took some lumps in about the first five to seven games of the year. But those last yeah. four games – um really all the way up to the egg bowl. It was kind of stuck out too. They were actually kind of turning a corner. Those younger guys were kind of figuring it out. And Finley was definitely one of them. I'm curious, not that any of these kids are dumb, but he seems like a very like mature kid, I guess is the way to put it like a very smart kid, because he came in for an interview one time in 19 and not that all these guys are bad interviews. I don't mean like rag on everyone else, but you don't get a lot out of them. But he was a guy on multiple occasions that said something that stuck with me for a second. I was like, oh, well, that's actually kind of a really interesting way to put that. He seems like a very smart kid.
0: Smart kid. Great family. It's there. It's such an he's such an easily likable kid. And just from when we were dealing with recruits is he used. It's kind of sad, honestly, because you just don't get a lot of recruits and a lot of kids that are, you know, have two incredibly supportive parents coming to every single one of their home games once they're committed to a team. And they came to every home game before while he was committed, his parents and really. And you just don't see that very often. And it's a little bit easier for them because they can drive from Mobile. Um, but, you know, that kind of environment just growing up in that, you know, it's just it's awesome to see. And he's been so successful really from every snap he's played. I mean, you mentioned the 19 defense. I mean, it was him and DeAndre Prince, yeah. you know, two of your back four are true freshmen and they're, they're getting their lumps. But, you know, in terms of positives for that season, which there weren't a whole lot. I mean, those two played their ass off the entire season. I mean, they both had an interception on Joe Burrow. and You don't see that very often. Um, so that was good to see. And now they're both back out there and playing pretty well. I think Prince has kind of had a weird year where, you know, there's plays where he makes a lot of them. And then it's like, well, what, what happened here? But um, it's good to see those two out there playing really well. Uh, AJ's a, a very good friend of mine, a great kid.
1: Is, um, is Prince super athletic? I may be thinking of the wrong kid. This I can't remember which one of those ones that they recruited. It may not even been a kid they landed, but they were in it in the mix afterward. They're like, this kid's kind of a freak from like a link standpoint. I may be thinking of the wrong person. What is kind of his MO from an evaluation standpoint?
0: Uh, Prince. Yeah. He, he played at Charleston, Mississippi. I think it's like a three a school, kind of yeah. a smaller, uh, rural area. Not far from Oxford. Yeah, I, th- I think so. And he, uh, he, he, his first offer actually was Georgia. And oh, wow. They, they kind of came out of nowhere and we knew about him. We, we were doing, you know, your due diligence and whatnot. And they offered him. We're like, is there something we're not seeing here? Um, <laughs> I and there really wasn't. Uh, but then once we offered, I mean, it was, it was kind of a done hometown, done deal thing. He played running back, receiver, DB. He was kind of all over the place and was really productive, just kind of small. I and mean, he still is not a very big kid, but, just from an athletic standpoint for his size was, was definitely a plus for him. And he he's been very good.
1: Last thing before we talk about Twitter or two quick things. Um, Just another note I had written on yesterday. I know we, we've done the Jake Springer thing over and over again, but he does seem like a huge advantage on the, like being up by the line of scrimmage in that position. Um, When they, I guess I didn't pay a ton of attention when he transferred here, but he's clearly big enough to kind of at least be productive in the run stopping thing. Like with what's kind of, his value to helping stop the run, because in those situations, whether it's pass rushing or being around the line of scrimmage, stop the run, he's lined up close to the line of scrimmage a lot. I'm sure that's just the nature of that position, but it's just something I've noticed since he's come back that seems to have really helped them in some spots.
0: Yeah. He's just got phenomenal instincts as a tackler. He, he can just see it and go and get it. And he's physical. Uh, he, he adds a ton to the already pretty competent linebacking core. When you can just roll him down as basically playing an outside linebacker. Uh he, he just does a lot. He's incredibly versatile and they use him in a ton of different ways. And I think Durkin loves being able to call defenses when he's got someone like that he's confident in. Um he, he's huge for this team. I think he actually played linebacker at Navy. Okay. Kind of like an undersized linebacker, if I remember correctly. So he's he an Academy what, linebacker. Right, so he knows what to do with that position. So now he he's learning a different one and just knows all the intangibles Mm -hmm. of everything. He he's been way way better than I thought he was going to be. To be honest,
1: the other last thing, the very last thing I had really about this game because I think we covered it all. I actually occasionally when you do this podcasting thing, you'll say something stupid. It may be breaking news. Uh, There's probably uh, a list of things out there over the years I've said are dumb. (laughs) I mentioned yesterday that Ole Miss got out of the game pretty injury-free. That was actually not the case. I just didn't have, like, put all of them together. So, you had trying to make sure I have this right. So, Tashim Johnson left with an injury. I don't think he came back, um, which seems significant. Jalen Jones left the game with an injury. And then Sam Williams got hurt. It appeared his left hip at the end, came back in and tried to go, and then appeared to be in, like, a decent amount of pain to where they had to get him off the field, Uh, clearly stating the obvious they need Sam Williams next week. That one looked the least serious of the three. But with regard to Taishim Johnson, that's Tylen Knight playing if he can't go next week, all week, right? That seems like a fairly significant drop-off if he's not able to go against a Yeah,
0: I would say it's it's a significant drop-off because Tysheem can just do a lot more in the coverage area. Um, and he's, he's played very well when he's out there. He's had a few rookie mistakes, but that kind of comes to territory um it, it's definitely important to have him out there i mean keydron was playing corner at some points in that game um where he's been safety for most of the year and i think that was probably when jalen went out um so yeah i mean that's definitely a knock to the db depth um it's something they've built up this year which is good um but yeah you definitely like to have him back and sam sam seems like he'll be fine uh, i hope that yeah, he was de- you definitely need him out there and um he he's capable of being a little bit dramatic on injuries it seems he, he seems to be down every single game and comes right back up and is just fine uh he's a pretty physical specimen it's pretty hard to hurt him significantly um but i i hope he'll be okay
1: it, he was like writhing in pain on the ground and like moving around though so again i we all were playing like couch doctor every time someone gets hurt but i was like Okay, it's not like he's grabbing his knee to where it's something significant. It's almost like did he get kicked in the balls? No, it's his hip. Like did he get bruised? Like it felt something like that where it maybe hurt like hell in the moment or something. But I don't know. I don't want to diagnose it. I just
0: no, 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 you can't. Um, the melodramatic dramatic
1: part cracked me up because he does go yeah. down a lot. And like when he goes down, there've been a couple times this year where it's like, did he lose a limb? Like it. Yeah. It looks like he's in very in a lot of pain and he ends up being okay. Yeah. Oh, kid, I'm not saying he's not. It's just kind of funny. No, no, no. no. He, he's deal the <laughs> uh, Arkansas where he, someone pushed him and then he takes two steps back and then like does a somersault on his head <laughs> type of yeah. thing. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That was just something I noticed. Uh, I wonder what Kadir Shepard's up to. That guy was an electric interview. They had to stop bringing him in there. Cause he would like give game plan secrets away. He cussed a lot. Uh, he, he was an interesting cat, very Bronx. He was very New York.
0: Yeah. Interesting. is an understatement for that, for that young man.
1: <laughs> he, I've told this story a thousand times, but he, they had a game. It was, I think Arkansas actually the year before where they used to do that stupid thing under McGriff where the DN would somehow be tasked with covering a back out of the backfield. And it was like, what is going on here? And he lost him. And someone, I think, so I don't remember what the situation, it doesn't matter, but it was a huge chunk player, a touchdown. <laughs> he, he, uh, he comes in there and he got asked about it. he just like looked at the ground for a second. He goes, I don't know, man, I turned around and I realized I'd fucked up. <laughs> that was his entire hits. I started cracking up. And then they came in against Alabama the next year and he started talking about these different twist blitzes they're gonna do. And then he stopped halfway and goes, actually, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say that. I'm not sure if I was supposed to tell y'all that. <laughs> I loved it when he came in. Kyle Campbell and the motivation staff did not.
0: Yeah, that happens.
1: Oh, uh, anyway, uh last night that was kind of covers it. Really fast, uh fascinating matchup next week. With A&M. Huge game. They're getting game day coming back. Um First a lot time. Of con- I
0: got a lot of thoughts about that. <laughs> about,
1: <laughs> My about game day coming back? Yes. All right, go ahead. Lay it on me.
0: Love game day. I think game day is not what it used to be, but Agreed. it's really I awesome. There. I was not
1: there the first time. Were you? I, I didn't yeah, get up I for was. that. You went?
0: It, okay. it was awesome. Oh, it was, it's so cool. Um, It's really cool for the individual school who gets it. Sure. I, I don't think it's as important as uh as it used to be from, like, a national standpoint where, like, everyone's getting up and the first thing they do is turn on game day. Um. The only thing I ask of Old Miss, and I know they're not going to do it because they think they're cute and funny. Don't make Katy Perry, the guest <laughs> picker again. Don't fucking do it. We're so tired. I'm so tired of her. Like that cannot be your model like citizen for the, to represent Ole Miss. She, she is great. <laughs> she, she used to be incredibly popular. She is not now. <laughs> and it, it's just weird. Like pick Morgan Freeman. Pick someone cool to represent you up there. And you know, and if it's not someone that doesn't represent you, like I mean, they had my boy from the hangover who was hilarious. Like, if they if game day wants to do someone random like that, let them do it. Don't don't press, don't push on what it was like eight years ago. Move on from it. She can do the hottie tottie chant she wants to during the game. That that's cool. But I I had had enough of Katy Perry. Don't make it happen.
1: happen. So does that, that kind of make sense where you said if they want to do something random, let them do it. Like there was pushback last time. That feels like that might be a Michael Thompson decision. Uh, read whatever the listeners want to read into that. Um, but I, I was think, curious.
0: Yeah, Michael Thompson's not there anymore,
1: though. No, no, I know he's at AM now, but back then yeah. he was, correct? Um, yeah.
0: No, the story behind why she was there.
1: It's her manager's an yeah. Ole Miss alum, right? She's playing in Memphis. But like, why exactly. did they want to have some sort of loose old Miss tie? Is that what you were getting at?
0: What do you, what do you mean? What, so, was like it? The,
1: the story I got was that her manager was an old Miss grad and Correct. she was playing a concert in Memphis that Sunday. And so the manager was like, Hey, she's available. She'll do it. Yeah. Were they wanting to have that as like, hi, look at like, hi, that's weird. Hey, look at this old Miss tie. Or was that like the way you phrased that, I was just curious if there was pushback to it being completely random they were like, grabbing for straws to have some sort of loose old
0: mistight with it. No, 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 no. I don't. I don't think so. I was saying pushing to be random. Like, you know, this year, some of the guest pickers for these games haven't necessarily had a connection to the school. Right. No, that's then. what I'm getting at too. So whenever she came, I think, I mean, she was, she, I mean, that's eight years ago. She was like the biggest star in the world at that point. I mean, it was a, it was a really big deal to have her. And it's, your story is exactly correct. She was just in Memphis, had never been to a college football game and wanted to go because she was close, and they ended up getting her on. Um, and that was great, and that was then. Just just find something different this time. Don't bring her back. You only get game day so often. Make it another memorable experience. Uh, don't, don't bring her back. We had enough of that. We, we love to relive history at Ole Miss um, and just, like, keep bringing it back up the past no matter what it is. Just, just figure something else out.
1: Agree, uh, A listener had, or I don't know if this guy listens to the show, that's probably not entirely fair. He follows me on Twitter, and then the replies as uh, I was kind of roasting old miss for some of the stuff that happened that we'll get to in a second. But he mentioned he's like, Bring Lance Lynn on, like kind of the old crusty pitcher. <laughs> he looks like he drinks some beer, he kind of uh, like acts like he's a guy that drinks some beer. I know state when they had state the next week, Pablo Bond appeared to be pretty lit. That could be kind of funny. You get Lance Lynn, you require him to drink six beers before he's out there. At least that could yeah. be cool. Morgan Freeman would be cool. That I thought the Lance Lynn one was an interesting suggestion.
0: Yeah, I mean that would definitely be cool. It's always nice to have someone out there who actually gives a shit. Right. I remember watching the first game day this year, and it was some country music artist who like looked like he was high and has never watched football in his life. Um, and it was like, there. Isn't that
1: like Chase Rice or Chase Bryce or something? No. That's their, no. That's, that's yeah, their I mean, stereotypical I mean, bullpen. They love a good washed-up country singer.
0: A hundred percent. And th- this guy was like a – he's like a newer, like, you know, skinny jeans country guy who yeah. I'd never heard of. So, don't do that, dear God. But, you know, someone – you could have someone with a tie. I know, like, uh, Charlie Day's wife went to Ole Miss and the Always Sunny guy, and he, he's a—he's an old Miss guy. Like, he'd probably be funny. Um, but, like, I remember Baylor had the the – home makeover crew, the, the, the couple, whatever their name is. Um, I know they're very famous and they were like, literally couldn't give two shits about picking games and like, looked like they were like fighting each other on set. Like that, that's dumb. Um, but it, it'll be really cool to have it. It's a night game and that battle add to it. I, it. It's cool. You know, you don't get it very often. It's only the second time ever they've had it. So do it right. Don't, don't bring up other stuff that already has been done
1: going to be a cold day in Oxford, Mississippi because I will be – I will not be attending game day. Uh, that's just not my cup of tea particularly anymore. But um, the, uh, the weather, the early weather forecast, high of 48 that day, 34 both early in the morning and going to be around 40, 35 degrees, somewhere in that range around kickoff, if I'm not mistaken. So, going to be a chilly day in Oxford. Uh, last thing before we get to bounce around the SEC a little bit and get out of here, Twitter gate, freeze gate, Venus gate, whatever you want to call it. Ole Miss yesterday puts out two snarky tweets. Uh, Someone brought that to my attention. I appreciate that. I'm not being sarcastic. I thought I only saw the, if you have the facts about this violation tweet, blah, blah, blah. I didn't see the hospital bed one, but they both got deleted. Basically the Ole Miss team account was trolling Hugh Freeze. I haven't noticed such things, but Chase laid out a pretty decent case that the Twitter account in general has gotten snarky as of late snarkier where they used to be Vanilla to a fault. I don't keep up with the old Miss Twitter account. I, I'm pretty sure I follow it. I know I follow it. I don't know why I said that. But, like, I'm not, like, logged into a lot of their content. Doubt it on that. Just doesn't really interest me. But they tweet them out. That if you believe in such a thing that some conservative pundits have termed the blue check mark brigade, uh, I have a different definition of that. Just your insufferable sports writers seem to get upset by it. Um, it was a nice mix of that and former old Miss staffers. Uh, Brennan Chapman replied to him that got a lot of tra- traction Brennan seemed a little more lighthearted about it where he's like oh, I stepped away from my phone this turned out disaster hotty toddy to where he like wasn't I don't think he was really that mad but he was like this is dumb and sure. I get that he's a freeze guy freeze gave him a job and gave him a whole lot of opportunity like it, it would be shocking if he were like anti-freeze but it was a nice mix of that I, it, I'm mostly bringing this up tongue-in-cheek because it doesn't really matter. I'd had a few at that uh, – rocking in that concert last night and started to spend 10 minutes while we were waiting, just dunking on old Miss for it because I found it to be incredibly dumb. I don't even know where to start. Just your thoughts on this Twitter gate. I think if you're – I thought it was funny. I did think it lacks self-awareness because we can get into that in a little bit. But if you're yeah. going to do it, what did you expect? You tweeted it to rile people up. Now you're shocked that people are mad. If you're going to do it, leave it up or don't do it at all. But then it turned into – issuing a public apology to Chris Lowe. It was just incredibly over the top, over a tweet about a tweet. I just thought the whole thing was stupid. What were your thoughts? Yeah,
0: I, there's, there's a lot of thoughts kind of about it. Um, you know, I thought it was funny, but at the same time, it's clear that Ole Miss wasn't on the same page. Like Keith Carter like, did not know this was coming out. And probably something you should throw by the AD um, before you do it. So that there's something like this doesn't happen where you have to retract everything and re- issue apologies. Um, but I do understand like from someone like Brennan, you know, not loving it because, you know, the, the guy is still a, a human being and you're just dunking on him in public. Um, so that's kind of it's kind of a little bit much. I thought uh, it was
1: piling on too. That was my first instinct. I was like, geez, like the guy coached pretty good second half. He's has far yeah. worse soldiers out there to the Like he's inferior talent. Like I, that was my first reaction. I was like, geez, that seems a little harsh, but then, you know, the normal rational part of my brain kicked in. I was like, it's Twitter who cares?" type of right. thing, but yeah. some people can't turn that off. But I was with you. I was like, Jesus seems piling on.
0: Yeah. I mean a little bit. And I mean, I thought it was funny and I didn't, you know, obviously, I don't care. Um, my, my biggest takeaway is there are so many people, uh, you call them the Blue Check Brigade or whatever, these guys that cover college football who, like, hate everything about it. Like, what a miserable <laughs> – Dan <laughs> Wolkin
1: is the mascot. I can't even – I mean,
0: him and the – who's the other guy? I see him on Twitter all the time. I think I follow him. I think he went to Old Miss.
1: Oh, Stephen Godfrey, he did go to Miss a lot. He's
0: the one who did the documentary or whatever
1: correct the uh, the ironic part about that he was the only one that would tell kind of both sides of the thing throughout it
0: um yes well he clearly thinks people care about what he has to say about a lot of things he seems so miserable (laughs) just like all this commenting on like all of that and all the old miss stuff maybe he didn't get a great reception on his little documentary or whatever um he, like he, he does, his life is covering college football and all these guys do not just him, but all of them, these just shit on college football. Like what a miserable existence. I mean, like, why, why do you do that as your livelihood? If you just are going to sit there and like complain and bitch about everything it does, like cover something else, cover politics, you know, do something else. Like don't spend your afternoon bitching and complaining and writing a column about Twitter. <laughs> it just seems so dumb and i don't even like really i haven't really paid attention that much except for you know it created quite a stir so i started looking through a bunch of stuff i was like who the hell are these miserable bricks who just sit and spend their time like just bitching complaining this is their, their livelihood is to cover this stuff and you're just so tall on your high horse that you can't get a joke There's a bunch of losers
1: yeah, I agree. So I will not push back on anything you said. Like, don't think that I'm like defending Godfrey, like on your behalf here, I would no. put Godfrey and Walken in a little bit of a different category. Godfrey. I don't know him. Well, I had lunch with him one time. He's been nice to me when I, uh, like he was kind of, I mean, other people are too, but like supportive. Like when I got laid off at super talk and like kind of sent a nice message and like, we've always been friendly. I don't pretend to know him. Well, I wouldn't call us like friends, but we know of each other. And I ate lunch with him one time. Seems like a nice guy. His more is like, he loves to be like very snarky. And I'm guilty of this to the time to kind of like sound smarter than you actually are. I don't try to do that, but like I felt very much guilty of the snark aspect of it. So I think that was more so his angle. I thought it was way over his tweet about it was way over the top, way over extreme. Like people I like in media have bad takes, right? Like we all have them from time to time. You work in this Godfrey, I will give him credit. He looked like they, he is more pro college football than Wolken. That's the only distinction I'm trying to make here. He loves the small, you. kind of obscure college football. He loves him some Sun Belt stuff like that, which I think is cool for the sport. So, I, yes, I thought that his take, I'll go find the tweet, or if I even could, like, I'd actually, no, I'm not, because I don't want to it. Whatever he <laughs> tweeted, oh, here we go. Everything, Ole Miss did everything it could to aid and freeze his hapless bullshit, lie to everyone involved, and claim ignorance after try turning this into a joke and then trying to turn this into a joke now shows how nothing changes Mississippi. That's a little too harsh and that's incredibly extreme over some dumb Twitter joke to what you're pointing out. I would just put him in a different category than Walken. to where Dan Wolkin tweeted last year, the last weekend of the college football season, the slate is super bleak today. Let's just get this over with and get to the end. And it's like, dude, <laughs> We yeah. pulled off an entire college football season in a pandemic that likely kept you from not having a job. If there's no college football season, a media industry that's struggling as a whole, the layoffs would be as bad as they've been, unprecedented. And this guy's complaining about the slate on a December 15th game that we've had to have, or December 15th weekend, second weekend of December that we've had to have because it took a lot to make through the season. I and mean, they're just actually shitting on it. Two weeks ago, he put out, if you're staying up for Washington and Arizona seek help it's like what if some people were just like watching college football late night on this uh, Friday night what if a lot of people bet on it and think it's fun to do the whole like I know nothing about these teams I'm going to stay up late drink more than I should and root for some team I have nothing about like yeah. that's the stuff I don't understand and like Godfrey's guilty of that sometimes like you mentioned but I would just point out that it, I think that's a little bit different distinction I didn't agree with what he said but Wilkin is just miserable all the time and I don't understand it and the other aspect of it is, and I tweeted this out yesterday, team accounts doing snarky stuff that makes people mad, I think is a great indicator of people that take themselves too seriously. And I'm not a big like, oh, look at this dumb blue checkmark brigade guy. I was kind of barring a term there. But for whatever reason on the internet, if you have one of those checkmarks by your name, which all you had to do five years ago is go, now it's a little harder because everyone got one, but all you have to do is go fill out an application and then Twitter would look like this person is who they said they are blue check mark that's all it took that apparently now means your opinion on everything matters more or matters at all per se and you're some sort of expert on everything politics covid like apparently you're supposed to take your opinion on anything even some (laughs) things in college football seriously just because you filled out an application to have twitter say you are who you are like there's such a the sports writers already have lack self-awareness have massive egos but if you get that blue check mark, I think your ego just doubles. I'm curious. I might try to fill one out just to see if I get become more arrogant by default. I don't know if there's science behind that. But, my God, no one cares what you have to say. And if you're mad about that and you're spending you know, two, three tweets and saying, you know, I mean, Dan Walker called it utterly classless. Like, dude, who cares?
0: Uh, yeah, like, oh, God. Yeah,
1: he, no. he mocked freeze at every turn. I mean, most of it was done through the, the guise of reporting, if you really want to even call it that. But, like, he wasn't, he was anti-heuphrates in the start and clearly had an agenda and now you're standing up for him just because you didn't like what the old Miss Twitter account did? Like, yeah, just so. my ass. And I don't even mean mine. Just, like, I don't care what you have to say. You're a Gannett columnist. Who cares?
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll apologize smallly to Godfrey because, I mean, I don't no, know. No, no,
1: no. I didn't mean that at all. You don't have to, like, No, a, no,
0: a, I know, but, I, but I, you, are, you are true. I mean, I don't, I don't know the guy. And if he if he has his niche and that's just what he does, then, then that's fine. But, I just found myself looking around at some of these like Yahoo guys, not just Wolf yes. and all the other guys. And it's like, what? why do y'all, why do y'all cover this? If you hate it so much and why do you care so much? It just It was just a, kind of weird. I've never really paid attention to it like that. And um, it was just bizarre, but I, I don't think it was that big of a deal. I can
1: understand both sides of it, um, but you know, it's gone. It's over now and it shouldn't really, it's whatever. The deleting it though, and putting it like, Deleting it and putting out an apology it was so old, miss it was so over the top. Oh, like, I couldn't believe that. because Keith Carter, smart guy, I think he's done a lot of great things. with Ole miss athletics. Oh, I like Keith Carter a lot. He's been incredibly nice to me, particularly when you know I was like a 23 year old porter reporter. Where he right. could, he's if, a great guy, yeah. He, like he, if he wanted to, he could just not give me the time of day, but he was always awesome. I was surprised by that. Maybe that was more of a Kiffin thing. I tend to think it might be because Chris Lowe has basically become Kiffin's PR guy.
0: Well, yeah, but, Chris Lowe was there when he was like brought in and hired. Yeah, you let him so fly him on
1: the flew him on the flame, like he did an embed with
0: yeah. him. Um uh, there in the facility, he's always with him. Um I, I, but that's what I was saying earlier. You're creating problems like, that don't
1: exist, by the way. Yeah, but no, clearly,
0: there. uh, there's a clearly a miscommunication, or there should have been at least a a heads up, like hey Keith, like we have an idea, might tweet this after the game you know, it'll probably cause a stir. Uh, what do you think? And clearly that did not happen. So now it makes Keith look bad that he's having to come out here and like, you know, play damage control on something that probably didn't need to be damage controlled.
1: But um, it, it's it's just kind of a miscommunication on that part. Agree. And the, to kind of, I mean, Godfrey's take was extreme, but there was some truth in what he was saying because I did agree Absolutely. with part of it. That's why I was saying like the lack of self-awareness, the part that yeah. I put out, like the I guess my take on it was, because you don't get Hugh Freeze without Ole Miss's incompetence. He, they allowed him to become that big of a problem, and they also didn't do him any favors. And I don't even mean strictly from a save him from himself standpoint. They screwed up the end of the NCAA case at every turn. And I get that that guy's not here anymore. Ross Bjork is at Texas A&M. He screws that up and now is managing the largest athletic budget in the country. Chancellor Gumballs is no longer the chancellor. They screwed that up at every single turn. And so you don't get that. You don't get the entire Hugh free story without a lot of complicity and a lot of incompetence from the athletic department. So it did lack some self-awareness, but I feel funny like spending too much time harping on that because again, it's Twitter. Who cares? Like I just think of issuing a public apology about a tweet that was about a tweet was ridiculous and it's not going to matter in a week. No one's going to care, but I just found the whole thing to be utterly ridiculous.
0: Yeah. It's an interesting conversation at least. And you you are right. Like, The Ole Miss was very much a part of tearing itself down and now making fun of it on a guy who, I guess, at least small credit to Freeze, like really didn't make this whole weekend about him, it seemed like. which That's a good point. uh, He definitely could have. And, you know, I'm sure he was still searching his name on Twitter after the weekend to see what people had to say. But uh, there, there wasn't that much Hugh Freeze stuff going on. So he didn't really seem to take it you know, to heart like you thought he might. And uh, and then you just, like, totally just eviscerate him publicly. Um, it, it just – you could do it, but just do it with communications with everybody so you know it's coming so you don't have this kind of backlash. But, you know, that that's just – there was just clear disconnect on whether they should do it, and when they did do it, it was like a shock to – it seemed like the majority of the athletic department, so – was. Yeah,
1: and the person that did it, and I, I think I know who it is. And I don't mean to like make them sound like like we're trying to track down like the Golden State Killer or something here. But no. before I knew who it was, my first thought was the person that put that out. One, congrats, Free and Snarky, it was funny. Two, was clearly not here during all of that because if you were around this and experienced it, like you would know better than to put that out because of what we just talked about—the old Miss, the role Old Miss played in its own demise. So it was clearly something, someone newer to the program uh which is fine and again day, we spent too much time on this all right it doesn't matter i just thought it was funny the whole thing was ridiculous but it's clearly someone that was not around then because if you had kind of the context clues and like knew what happened uh kind of not even really behind the scenes knew the full story probably wouldn't have put that out i will say though freeze was he got asked about the return after it and he got kind of emotional saying you know most of it was positive and you know there's been so many people here that have been good to my family um And like, he got kind of emotional talking about it. And I I, look, I understand that I get why you would think Hugh Freeze is a fraud. I'm not necessarily saying he's not fraudulent in a lot of aspects of his life, but I thought that was genuine emotion because his, they were good members of the community. They did a lot of the community here. There's a lot of good, as much bad as came with freeze. There was a lot of good. And I don't know. I saw a couple of people kind of doing the whole snake oil salesman thing about that quote, but I actually watched it. I actually thought that was genuine emotion. I think he meant that. And I think, Um, I don't know if closure is the right word, and I don't want to make this a melodramatic thing, but I think it probably would have hurt him had the reception been overly negative. And I think it sounded like he was he sounded like a man that was a little bit surprised at how mostly positive it was. I don't know what I wasn't there in the stadium. I don't know like what the actual boo to cheer ratio was, not that that really matters, but I do think this provided some sort of kind of like, let's finally put this chapter behind us type of thing. And I don't know, I just thought that emotion was real and as much bad has come with Hugh Freeze. I thought that part was genuine.
0: Yeah, it was It was good to see. I mean, I'm fine with it. He's a human.
1: Let's go around the SEC before we get to the world's fast or the fastest growing segment on American soil and get out of here. Uh, great, full, full slate of games. They weren't always the greatest games, but there were some fascinating ones and we had kind of got past the whole end of October bye week where you only had four games back-to-back weeks, basically what I'm getting at. Uh, where do you want to start? We'll go Auburn a and M. I because I inherited a sinking ship when Zach Barry left Rebel Grove on Neil's picks, he was in last place. I've had to take over for him. I've had to get a little riskier with my picks and in Neil's picks, I said, you know what? I think this game is low scoring for whatever reason. Bo Nix has played well on the road lately. I think he continues to this and makes a play to help that allows Auburn to win the game late in a game where you look at it and you're like, how did they win? That it may not make sense. I think I had 21, 17 Auburn. I got half of it, right? A&M scored 17 points. Maybe they kicked a field goal at the end, whatever. But Auburn couldn't do anything offensively. How much of this game did you catch? Um, to me, it seemed like they stymied Auburn's ability to run the ball and put the game in Nick's hands, and he's just not good or consistent enough to do that. And he had a back-breaking turnover to kind of put this seal the deal.
0: Yeah, I watched like this entire game. I had a very uh, very casual Saturday afternoon. Uh, this was just a game where Auburn couldn't run the ball very well because that's how good AM's front seven is. And then, I mean, people. You know, kind of bitch complain about Ole Miss's receiving core, but Auburn's might be just as bad. They are, they are terrible, and they cannot catch a football. Um, Nick's was doing all he could. I mean, he he just they couldn't catch the ball. It did not help him out. He made some poor decisions. Couldn't run the ball. A um, and M offensively looked pretty stagnant. Auburn played pretty good on defense, but they were felt like they was out on the field so long and. Parson could not get anything going and it was one of those i actually bet on AM and m and that's a rare victory for me this weekend um there's a better team i thought i think calzada has definitely he's got an absolute cannon but has kind of regressed to the mean of what he is which is a he played the game of his life
1: against alabama it seemed like right
0: yeah and he he is a good quarterback not a great quarterback um but he did all he needed to do and it was kind of a incredibly boring and thorough, butt kicking.
1: No, agreed. I agree. I, I thought I had the same feel at that game where it's like Auburn like was in it because they, they were in it as long as their defense kind of held up like their defense had, it was an admirable effort, but when your yeah. offense is giving you nothing, you're eventually going to give out. And that's what ended up happening. And that's not even really entirely fair because what the, they tried to run that trick play or whatever. And Nick's just, I mean, he didn't even get it stripped out. He just lost the handle on the ball. I'm not even sure if he ever had a good grip on it. And that's really what, kind of sealed the deal in that game i think auburn could still give alabama some fits we'll get to that in a second um i say some fits i think that could be an interesting they game can beat them yeah <laughs> they i think they could them. too uh their yeah. fault but uh you know that's i imagine a&m is kicking themselves or this mississippi state loss they'd be in the driver's seat for the west had they not lost in Starkville at home that's so wild to me
0: it is um, weird
1: but sets up an interesting matchup with oxford next week a huge game and again uh but just point out that uh, Ole Miss is relevant and playing in big-time games is national exposure for the first time in half a decade. And it, they got there a lot quicker than I thought Kiffin would get them there. So, interesting game there. State, Arkansas. So, I watched most of A&M, Auburn, and I tried to watch most of this game, but I walked down to this little, like, dive bar that's by my house after I got done with all my old Miss stuff and recording with Chase – and someone, long story short, someone halfway through turned it to the TCU game instead on the TV. The state game was on, so I didn't get to see a ton of the second half, which was annoying. What? Uh, how much of this did you watch? I know state's got some kicking issues, but this seemed like a game kind of littered with mistakes on both ends, and Auburn just, excuse me, Arkansas. Credit to them, they had a game-winning drive. They take it down the field and just kind of outlasted them, and You can't have the special teams mistakes and miss that many kicks and win a game on the road against a competent team. And I think that's what did state in, but didn't change my opinion about state. I think they're playing good football for the most part. Rogers is really coming into his own.
0: Yeah. Rogers is, is fitting into the system. Well, Um, he's doing what he needs to do and he's not turning over the ball too much. Um, He's played well this year. He, He is not an elite quarterback by any means, but he does really understand what they want him to do. And he does it to a pretty high level. Um, They just, you know, made mistakes that you can't really make in a game like that. Arkansas, they they had a chance to kind of break that game open early and couldn't really do it. And then, of course, it came down to the last few drives, and State got there, another opportunity to tie the game. The guy misses three field goals. And then Mike Leach with an all-time asshole move. An all-time asshole move just – just publicly destroys his own player. Um He's just – I don't – honestly, I can't blame him because he's such a weirdo that he probably doesn't fully comprehend like how bad of a look that is. He's probably trying to make a joke, not understanding, you know, the circumstances. But uh that was an unbelievable comment in, in his press conference.
1: He said they're going to have open tryouts, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, better or worse, you, you may have picked up on this or not. I don't know. But the only reason I – picked up on this is because I was reading one of the state newspaper guys from the story, the Brandon and Reese kid missed the first two field goals and Leach benched his kicker. The kid that kicked the last field goal was a different guy. They went with some kid named Nolan McCord. So not only did he not do that, he didn't let the kid come back out for the third field goal. He just he brought in a backup kicker. I didn't even know <laughs> how his teams carried them. They went with a second kicker for it, yeah. which what are your take on that as someone that's been around involved in a football program? I think back to the Luke Logan days. I'll get to that in a second as my point as to why, but I know the kids miss too, but don't you 40 yard or don't you just have to stick with them and just say, oh, at least still believe in you or do you just like... That going with the other kid that you haven't seen kick very much other than in practice doesn't seem like an obvious, like, oh, we're gonna go with the backup quarterback because he's playing better. Like you just benched him almost to humiliate him kind of deal. There's some of that to it. What did you think about that?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm honestly surprised that they traveled two kickers. I mean, usually you don't you you travel with less on the road than you do, you can suit more kids up at home. And there's not always room for a, a backup kicker. I was shocked they kid. had one. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, he goes out there and just kicks a duck on the last field goal. Like, literally no chance. So, I don't know why the hell he did that. I mean, at least give yourself a shot. Or if you just have no confidence, throw a Hail Mary and try to win the game. That is true. Yeah, if you really have that little confidence in your kicking game. um, I don't know. I mean, that's all in that game. Arkansas with a big win. They've been sliding. I think state is a good team. I, they're definitely not a great team, but they're, they're tough and they had uh, their ample opportunities to win a pretty big game on the road, but couldn't do it.
1: This is so. two years. So if that kick goes, well, no, that would have been overtime. Never mind. I can't do math. If state pulls out the game, that's Arkansas two years in a row making some hay off a couple of September wins, or I guess the A&M was, no, that was September. That was September 20th. Yeah. That was third week. And really kind of, uh, fading down the stretch like they they've been very unimpressive to me maybe they that four week stretch really just crushed them but they were coming off a bye and I figured they were in a good spot here to maybe win this game like 10 12 points they kind of had a chance to do that only couldn't do it um th- what do you make of Sam Pittman so far because he's he's kind of Mr. September through two years so far that's not totally fair but they faded down the stretch two years in a row again premature to say that this year but you kind of get where I'm going
0: yeah no I mean I, I'm not going to be da- overly down on Pittman. I, I don't think there was a whole lot of expectations for them this year. And what well, they're sitting at five and three, I mean, that's, that's pretty good considering what their expectations are with a brand new quarterback in there. Um, I mean, it's, I think it's still a pretty good football team and they they definitely could have beaten Ole Miss yes. if it was for one play. And, um, you know, they handled an A&M team that's, you know, it's still the same team, but Calzada was very new, obviously. Um, they're good, and, I mean, they won the football game. They deserved to win it. It's not like, you know, State necessarily deserved it. I mean, I know there was a few weird calls towards the end. Um, I'm not down on him. you know, they have LSU next week. Um, we'll get to LSU in a little bit, and that's probably a, a half-fastly tougher game than they probably thought it would be, um, especially at night there. So, I mean, I think they're on track. I think they're doing just fine.
1: Night games where I checked out just a tad. I was uh, busy going to concerts, being a Wook, hanging out with the younger Rodenberg. I walked into a Vegabond show after we ate dinner. It was fun. Ran into your brother. But um, I didn't. So I stayed actually at this bar next door before walking the concert. The group I was with was like, all right, we're going to go walk in. I was like, I'm not. I want to see the end of this. So I watched the last seven minutes and then walked in and caught up with them next door. Um, We'll go there first. Then we'll get to uh, Mr. Dan Mullen. Um, What did you think of this game? The stat line's weird. It, to me, it seemed like they stopped, they did what Ole Miss couldn't do, and they neutralized Alabama's ability to run the football. And I think that's kind of the talent showing on the LSU defense that we talked about is there, probably a little bit healthier than they were when Ole Miss caught them um, you know, coming off a bye week. And when you put it up to Bryce Young, he wasn't terrible, but that offense is way less dynamic when they can't run the ball. I know that's some dynamite analysis, but you know it's not like LSU was good offensively in this game, the defense just kind of mucked it up enough for it to get weird.
0: Yeah, it I mean this was maybe the worst Alabama game I've ever watched in like 10 years, 12 years since they got there. I mean, this was one of the worst games they've had, you know, I mean, even though they won the game that I've seen just from an execution standpoint in a very, very long time. And the funny thing is, I know you said they might be healthier, but LSU actually was not healthier. <laughs> they were actually even more beat up than they were when they came to old Miss. And, I don't even – it's hard to even understand what happened in that game. I mean, they completely shut down Alabama's run game. Bryce, you know, he made some good throws and some scrambles, but, like, they couldn't sustain drives at all. And then if, you know, if LSU had an offensive coordinator that knew what he was doing, they would have won the football game. And if Max Johnson, you know, wasn't so not – I mean, for lack of a meaner term, just not tough – that they would have won. They literally should have won that football game.
1: They had a real shot late. And I would agree with you. I actually – MC's dad's an LSU guy. I was – I made a comment to him texting him about it as it was going on. I thought – that I think the offensive coordinator sucks. I hadn't watched, like, a ton of LSU this year, enough to notice. But, like, that was the first time about midway through the second half. I was like, what is this – like, who is calling this game? I knew who it was, but, like, what – I was curious why they were doing what they were doing. That seemed like a terribly called game.
0: Yeah, I've watched a lot of LSU. And their offense is – it's terrible. The scheme is terrible. The execution is terrible. Johnson has regressed significantly. He is just not tough. He he does not want to take a hit. And that's I – mean, it showed the last three drives he's throwing balls, you know, off his back foot because he's got a blitzer in his face, and he overthrows three guys in a row on three straight fourth downs. If he just stands in there and, and fires one, they, they win the football game, and he couldn't do it. Just throughout the game, you know they actually kind of sustained some running, which was new for them. Um, but their their route concepts it's so slow, and they don't have the offensive line to block long enough for these routes to develop. And they have no tempo, so like they're not surprising anybody, and that they they're just so discombobulated at all times. It's it's really bad. And I'm not even trying to, you know, Ogeron probably deserves the situation he's at, but you know. Once again, he hired this guy. So that proves it. But, like, this is just only him. I mean, the defense and the new coordinator, you know, they've had some poor performances, but this was a, a master class. I mean, they were just blitzing all the time against Alabama, just trying to make them uncomfortable, go for it. And it really worked. Uh, were you surprised
1: with the effort? That was another shocker to me. That team looked like a team at times that has folded this year. I mean, hell, they almost looked like they quit on the field of Kentucky. I didn't think they necessarily quit against Ole Miss. They just banged up and they weren't very good. Were you surprised at the effort at this late in the year, given what they're going through? Because that's what we talked about a lot after watching that bizarre press conference and the decision to allow them to continue to coach.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm a little bit surprised, but you know, they're going to come out strong and, you know, be into the game. And the thing was Alabama just didn't never even attempted to put them away. So you just staying in the game and all of a sudden you're like, okay, you know, we're on the road against Alabama. Like, we might win this game like there's no reason to quit now um if Alabama comes up and scores 21 in the first quarter then they might score 70 but that that just did never happen so um really a, a credit to Osron to to an extent and really the players and everybody getting up and just still playing hard you know that that's difficult to do in this situation especially what happened um you know, at the Ole Miss game. So, you know, good good on them for, for keeping fighting and having some pride. Uh, they should have won that football game, which is crazy to say.
1: When you, uh, when you look at the totality of this SEC West, Alabama is actually very fortunate that the two through four, you can maybe put five teams in there, is kind of eating its own. Because if Ole Miss doesn't have the Auburn loss – they're very and again, them beating AM is uh you know a huge if, but let's just say that happened. Like going to the final week of the season, it wouldn't be a foregone conclusion that Alabama is winning that iron Bowl that we just mentioned a second ago, and all miss would have like they're not gonna lock up the less till the last week. Whereas now AM has the bizarre state loss. You know, AM beats Auburn, Auburn beats Ole Miss. The kind of cannibalism behind Alabama has afforded them a little more wiggle room than they might have had in years past. Cause we talked, we went down the schedule after AM. Beat them the first time. It's like, yeah, I don't really see this. Like, where are they losing again? Well, now it's like, I don't think they'll lose to Arkansas, but nothing would stun me at this point with them. Where in the past, outside of them playing Georgia, I would have been stunned if they lost. They have two more tough games left, and in the past, I've been one more confident in their ability to win it, and two, you know, they would have less wiggle room than they have. They're a little fortunate in that regard, in my opinion.
0: Uh, I completely agree, Uh, and you know, the schedules kind of worked out to where, like, now they have like Arkansas and Auburn, but if they play like that, which I don't think they will, but they're not capable of just waking up and beating those two teams like they used to be able to. It's a great way to um, put it. Yeah. I mean that game against uh against um Auburn could definitely be shaky. I, I would be very interested to see what the look ahead line is because that they Auburn can beat them for sure. And it could be a weird deal. I know I saw some weird thing about how it could be like a six-way tie in the West and, you know, Ole Miss can put up another fake banner West champions if they want to. Um,
1: I can't believe they think
0: I don't think that's going to happen. But, um, yeah, it's a a weird, weird year in the SU West.
1: Uh, And then let's get to Mr. Dan Mullen. This was – I didn't watch – hand up, did not watch a snap of this because, one, I don't really – didn't ever think there was a reason to. Not only did Florida not go to South Carolina and cover the 18-point spread – they didn't cover it in reverse. They got absolutely boat raced in this game. The people around Florida that cover that team seem adamant, at least a couple of them that I know, that he's getting a 2022. It's kind of the classic that's kind of going by the wayside a little bit where you usually the one bad year you get to fire the assistants and then you're kind of on thin ice going in the year. That's kind of faded in recent years as the money's gone be what it is and leashes have gotten shorter and shorter. This was – astonishing to me but then it comes out a little more context mullen apparently claims mullen apparently confirmed to a um orlando sentinel reporter that florida had like 20 to 30 guys with the flu what did you make of this i didn't watch any of it but what the hell to use the lack of a better phrase
0: yeah I, i checked in because i i just wanted to i just wanted to see it all all come to fruition um I mean, they got their ass kicked, like, thoroughly by a team that is not good. Um, And I – Even though it was down to
1: Vanderbilt in the fourth quarter.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, like, probably should have lost that game. Um, I understand that people might think that 2022 was there for him. That seems just so unlikely to me.
1: Couldn't agree more. That's what makes Um, it bizarre. The fact that people around the program think that. But I don't think that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's one thing if you have a down year – And, you know, it's capable. And even at Florida where you shouldn't really have too many missteps, like they're clearly having one this year. And, you know, that happens and you can kind of come back from that. It's a lot harder to come back from that when you're just kind of a miserable person. Yes. And it seems like everyone hates you, including like your own staff and your own administration and your own fans. Like, I don't, I think the only one that likes Dan Mullen is Dan Mullen over there right now. And that makes it a lot harder, at least from my point of view, to, understand like, okay, let's give them another year. Like, you know, we like the trajectory. Well, what is the trajectory? You have two quarterbacks who have not played well. You have a defense that has been terrible. Uh, your recruiting's crap. I mean, I just, it, they've been so good. I mean, they were fighting for a playoff spot last year. They won and the East. Re- Yeah. And the re- regression has been incredible. His public comments have been horrible and they're losing to teams they shouldn't lose to. And in th- this day and age where people get fired for a lot less, I mean, it just doesn't seem like that's going to stay much longer. I think everything about that marriage seems broken.
1: I agree because we've mentioned this before, even when they were at stay together, they had a good professional relationship for the most part. But they're not like fast to friends, he and Strickland. And you'll remember last year, I keep bringing this up. There was some scuttlebutt, at least to the point of national reporters putting it, you know, in the bottom of like their notebooks and mailbags when the NCAA thing came out and he wasn't allowed to recruit for a certain period of time because, and no one knew the investigation was really even happening. There was some scuttlebutt about like, is he, are we sure he's safe this year out a year after they'd won the East? And I can't remember off the top of my head what they were. Um, I, but maybe you remember them too. Even when they were winning last year, he had some prickly public comments that didn't play well. Like he had a, a couple media goofs throughout the year about various things. Um, you know, he, he had the whole, well, A&M got a home field advantage because they had so many people in the stands. I wish our could be full next week in the middle of the pandemic, and then he got COVID the next week or whatever it was. Oh, like he, yeah. had some, he tripped over his own, you know what, last year when they were winning, and that's kind of who he is. And like you mentioned, that doesn't fly when you're losing. And i agree with you. I would say he's dead to rights. I said before the week, he was dead to right this weekend. He was dead to rights if he lost any of these last four games. He just lost to the worst team they play. they had left. Yeah, Aside from it, Charleston Southern, I think they who's they play, but Florida State, Missouri, and uh, Florida State, Missouri, it's not going to lie, there are three real opponents left. He just lost the first one, probably the worst one.
0: Definitely. I mean, and I guess on the flip side, you know, credit to Shane Beamer, uh, because those guys play their ass off. I mean, did you see his a,
1: halftime comment?
0: No, I did not. What'd he say? He
1: goes, It's nice to do these interviews when we're winning and acted just stunned at the feeling of being up at halftime. It was hilarious.
0: I, I, He's going to have to do a, a 180 reversal next year because this happy go lucky, like bring my kids on the field and like, you know, every win is a miracle thing. Like, you can't do that after the first year. Agree. Um, and I'm, I don't necessarily believe that he's going to stop doing all that kind of stuff, um, which is not, they're not even really negative. It's just like, okay, it's not like this is the honeymoon phase when you're overachieving. Uh, that ends after your first year. So, you know, cut the shit a little bit. Um, but he, he is an incredibly likable person, and this team plays his ass off on a third-string quarterback who, like, literally no one even knew who he was, and they beat the shit out of Florida. And I think that's what's even worse about Mullen, who's been there since his fourth year. I mean, just regressing on both sides of the ball. And I just like – I, like I said earlier, you know, you can do this if people like you, but it seems like nobody likes him there, and you're doing this. And this whole coaching carousel, there's probably pressure to go out there and be like, be part of the party, (laughs) which I think we can talk about a little bit because that party is getting pretty crowded. And it is you add add Florida to the mix and that changes up so many different things. Um, So I I just don't see him surviving this, especially if they drop another one.
1: Kiffin in Florida, it's at least worth talking about should it happen. Is that something you would think he'd covet? Because that seems pretty obvious. Yes to me.
0: Yeah. And I mean, that, that's not me like taking words from his mouth or something I've heard, but that would be, that would be one that he would most certainly not use, not just use his leverage to get a bigger contract. I would, um, I would think that if they are interested, he would be interested as well.
1: Well, I'll Miss better hope for their intake that the local guys are right. And then Mullen somehow miraculously gets a 2022. Look, I'm not the, like, I'm not plugged in, particularly not nationally. But like you mentioned, like a certain point, you can tell when situations become untenable, and it's like how when you are asking yourself, "How does this move forward?" That's usually a pretty good indicator that it's not. I think that was it on the SEC. Congrats to Georgia for not covering, but absolutely bludgeoning Missouri was what no, Missouri's
0: first cover of the year.
1: <laughs> they kicked a late field goal to do it. I swear, I think Drinkwich is like, we haven't covered. Go put this one through the uprights, big boy. Yeah, I think there was some of that to that. Um, so he,
0: pulled, he pulled a Mark Stoops where he called the time. Mark Stoops called a timeout, to score to cover, and yes. Missouri decided, you know, we're going to cover too.
1: Oh, actually, no, I missed a big one. Kentucky, Tennessee. Kentucky seems pretty overrated. Uh, your, your guy Hypel coming into his own. Jeffrey Wright called it on the picks. He's like, I think Tennessee's just better. I just picked – it was a coin flip game to me. I think they were probably on more even footing than the <laughs> so you. Didn't watch a ton of this game, but seems like the better offense won. That's a huge win for Hypel.
0: It is. I watched a decent amount of this game, not a whole lot. Uh, they had a pretty hilarious little uh, little stint towards the end of that game where the refs miss a blatant face mask on Kentucky. Mark Stoops loses his mind and flag Mark Stoops. So the, the SEC officials miss a call and then flag the coach for complaining about the egregious missed call that they had and then in hilarious karma, Kentucky converts the fourth and 25 um, to continue the drive, and they lost. But um, uh, I've been saying it for almost every pod that I believe that Hypo is going to be really good there, and I am not wrong. I mean, this the, he is – can he sustain it for 10 years there and win a national championship? I don't know about that. But, I mean, he Hooker has been really, really good. I think they only had the ball for, like, 11 minutes of that game and scored 45 points. Um, they go at warp speed, and they do it really, really well. Um, I, I've always said that, that that Ole Miss win is so underrated because that Tennessee team is not bad. And they are really playing well towards the end. And they're going to be a <laughs> – excuse me, little voice crack. Uh, they're going to be a problem in the future. They're, they're, they're good.
1: They're really good. Yeah, you're right. Dude. You didn't mean literally 11 minutes. Is that, that would be remarkable.
0: No, I think it was something stupid. Like they had the ball for like 11 or 14 minutes and scored 45 points. You can look it up. But I, I do think um, <clears throat> I do think it was something crazy like that.
1: Wow. That is – holy hell. They it's had the right ball it? for 13 minutes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I knew it was something crazy like that.
1: I'm not sure. If ever, have you seen some – I've never seen that before.
0: I, not, not to that level, and honestly, it's it's a weird deal because their defense is on the field so much. It's probably why Kentucky was able to score forty-two points because yeah, Tennessee does I mean, not have
1: depth at all.
0: No, no, which is why like the job he's doing is so much more incredible that they're at where they are with how many players they have uh, that left. Um, so yeah, I think it was something crazy like that. Thirteen minutes.
1: Kentucky. I was wrong about them. I was a little more bullish. I like the roster that from a recruiting standpoint, at least from, you know, the ratings and kind of the media aspect of it seemed like, okay, they actually have a pretty decent roster. They came in ranked 18th in the college football playoff rings. They were a top 15 team for their loss to state. But That being said, do they finish last in the West if they're in the West?
0: <sighs> Probably.
1: <laughs> That's wild.
0: Probably. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know that they, they, they beat they beat the hell out of LSU. And they did. That if they get Arkansas at home, maybe they win that game. And uh, they're not a bad football team. I think they definitely regressed throughout the year, um, but they're not
1: bad. No, the team that finishes last in the West in real life though won't be a bad football team. No,
0: no. So um, I mean, I'm, I thought they were going to be really good, and I think for a while during the season they were really good and then they've kind of come back down to earth. Uh, the, the wins against Florida and LSU don't look as good as they probably should. So they really hadn't beaten a really good football team that I can think of off the top of my head yet. So I think that kind of showed when they played State and Tennessee. I mean, they're not really good, but they are definitely good football teams. And it, you know they could have won the Tennessee game. They had their opportunities. Um, they got pretty routed by State. Um, they, they just kind of regressed. It happens with some teams, and uh, Levis wasn't playing as well as he
1: was early on. It, it is what it is. It's, it's, it's basketball season. They don't, they don't care. That is awesome. <laughs> That's a great point. That does start up this week. Now it's time for the uh, fastest-growing segment on American soil. It is soccer corner. Absolutely wild week in the English Premier League, I think. Uh, I tweeted you because yeah. I happened to see some sort of uh, a tweet from Tottenham. They were playing with nine dudes. That's as you cleared up, not a strategy. That's uh, some kind of weird deal going on. Someone fired their coach already. Did, was this a week or two ago? Someone, someone fired sacked the manager already and he got like a ridiculously few amount of games. Who was that? Was that Chelsea?
0: Oh, uh, that like, was Tottenham.
1: Maybe it was. Okay. Tottenham. So they're already on the interim guy. I can't remember if we'd cover this already, but he got like oh, eight no, games.
0: No, no interim. They already hired the guy. That was his first game coaching. That's not soccer. They don't do intern's. They, you know, they brought in Antonio Conte, and he coached three days after uh, he was hired. <laughs> no intern. Okay.
1: So Ted Lasso, pretty true in that regard. Yes. Um. So how does that? So the the other guy got how many games? Like uh, ten.
0: Matches. Sorry, well, I'm learning the lingo. So it's it's Nunio Nuno came in, and. I think, I guess, it's been like 10 Premier League games, but that doesn't really include all of the other competitions. That's just what soccer does. Like, he, they started off the season 3-0, and <laughs> like had not lost a Premier League game, and then they lost some other competition games, and then they started playing like crap at the Premier League, and then United beat them 3-0, and they just fired him. It's like literally one-fourth away through the season just got there already gone
1: <laughs> so seven games removed from his first loss he is now unemployed because they right. played 11 games or excuse yeah. me matches sorry uh that's a tough that's tough sledding out there on the pitch it, it, how far does this go like in 2030 when we're old and doing a soccer corner do we see someone who they get down two-nothing at halftime. The guy on the team doesn't like the formation. It's like this guy's out of here and they get a half a game. Like, what at what point? what, what is what is the baseline for firing someone in soccer at this point?
0: Yeah, I don't even know. And it's the fu- the funniest thing about it is like I don't know all of these managers, but the big clubs just love to just recycle these guys. It's kind of like the NFL, like offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators. I think Conte, the guy they've gotten, is new. He's, like, he's one of the best managers in the world. Uh, he's already been at, like, Chelsea, and he's been at, like, three Italian teams. <laughs> you know, he's, he's been at, like, every major club, and uh, he just gets recycled back into another major club. And it's just what these – these all these managers, you know, they, they've all been everywhere. Like, Guardiola has been at Barcelona and Munich, and now he's at City, and he's been fired three times, and they just fire everybody. They There's no uh, – No patience over there in England.
1: How do you end up with nine guys?
0: Two red cards. So they must have had somebody got sent off. And then if you get another red card, you go down to nine guys. And I think that's the limit. I think if you get three red cards in one game, you go to eight. I think it's like a forfeit.
1: (laughs) Okay. So that's actually interesting. You read my mind on that because I was curious if you're down to nine guys, it's a game you're getting crushed in. If I were a manager and I'm ready to lob a turd in the proverbial punch bowl, I'm going to see how many guys I can get down to, and I'm going to start instructing people to clock people in the face. So there is a limit. You can't get past nine guys. It would be hilarious to just have 11 on goalie or something awesome like yeah. that if you're already getting crushed. Yeah, I
0: think it's nine is the limit.
1: Okay. I can. I, I would say look into changing that. I think you should be able to play with as few people as you want because soccer needs more scoring. So put that in the ledger. Um, let's see what's happened this week in the English Premier League.
0: Well, United got their ass kicked by Man City in the the Manchester Derby rivalry. It's a a huge one. It's one of the biggest in the world. Um, It was like a high school team playing a professional team out there. (laughs) It was 2-0 and could have been 8-0 if they wanted to be mean. Uh, It was a total, total, utterly pathetic performance. And the coach has still not been fired. No sacking yet for the United manager, which is just insane considering that like three other premier league managers have already been fired. And we are now like seventh in the table or sixth. And I mean, Arsenal's ahead of us now. And I call them a dumpster fire. They're a better team than United is right now. Um, So that sucks. Um, Chelsea tied. That was surprising. Uh, Liverpool lost today to West Ham, your boys, the hammers. Let's go. They're, They're like top four. They, they,
1: they're third probably. now. They're third in the Premier League. So this is this is real, as you mentioned. You called it last week. This is not oh, a. Uh,
0: they are really good. They are they are a very real team. They probably won't win it, but they are definitely in a position to get top four and go to the Champions League.
1: And then Brighton has slipped a little bit. They looks like they're down to seven. Maybe a little bit. They're are they frauds? Are they the Carolina Panthers of the uh, English Premier League? Doesn't seem like they're real.
0: That's pretty mean. <laughs> they don't have Sam Darnold out there. That's throwing, true. Uh, that is throwing true. pick sixes. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they're regressing a little bit, but still top ten for them is pretty phenomenal.
1: Um. Okay, here's the one. I'll just throw out random questions based on stuff that I've heard. Aston Villa is a club that I had heard of for a long time without watching soccer. They're in 16th place. What's the deal with them? Are they just in a down cycle? That, to me, seemed like a notable club, and they seem way too far down the list because there's so many clubs I've never heard of before ahead of them.
0: Um. I think they fired their manager, actually. Okay. Um, yeah, they, they're having a down season. They lost their best player. Um, Jack Grealish uh, is now at Man City, and they tried to replace him, and they, they have not been very good this year at all. And that's a real club. That's I mean, they cannot get rele- relegated. Um, that would be pretty embarrassing for them. Uh, they'll bounce back. They still got some players. But, yeah, that's definitely a surprising outcome early on for them.
1: Who in the mix is a relegation favorite that is either overperforming? Because you keep saying, like, they'll probably figure it out. Newcastle United's still in the relegation zone. You have seem bullish on their chances to figure it out. We talked about, uh, I learned about the uh, soccer equivalent of a trade deadline last week. But at the end, yeah. someone's going to have to get relegated. Like, who does that, when all things considered, like, are there is there someone overachieving that's probably going to fall out? Like, who do you think ends up getting relegated? I love that word.
0: Yeah, uh, Norwich, Norwich City, is, they actually won their first game. They beat Brentford <laughs> this weekend. They seem to so have yeah. a firm
1: handle on last place.
0: Yes, they are. Uh,
1: oh, they beat the Bees?
0: They beat the Bees. Okay,
1: yes. I missed the opportunity to tweet. The Bees are now in 14th place. I, you're going to start – when this podcast is out, I will have tweeted at Brentford already. The next tweet they fire off, I'm going to say I'm no longer renewing season tickets. So, be on the lookout for that.
0: Yeah, so, like, a team – Norwich and – Burnley is looking like a team they, they're they probably going down. Uh, Newcastle, they, I mean, they're in the shits right now. Maybe they'll turn it around at, in, in the second half. But I think you can definitely count Norwich and probably Burnley in there. Um, but there could be a shocker. I, I think Brentford probably stays up, but they've, they've kind of fallen off as of late. And then uh, Leeds has had a terrible year. Uh, that that's a team that is like a, kind of a, a staple back in the day, and they've kind of re- had a resurgence. Okay, but there's other teams that are doing really well. I mean, Arsenal at five is, is kind of surprising. Wolves at eight, they're, they're playing really well. And, I, I mean, it's such a long season that you'll really have to see what happens towards the end. But there, there's definitely some uh, interesting storylines early.
1: So, anything else interesting that we needed to hit? I just – I had the nine guys written down. had the manager getting sacked after, like, nine games, which is absolutely bizarre to me. Anything to look for in the Premier League? Or is it a we a long way away from the next cup? I don't understand a lot of Premier League games ahead. This is kind of like the uh, dog days of summer type of deal with this baseball.
0: Um, yeah, a little bit. But I think most – the thing that's coming up the soonest is uh, World Cup qualifying next round then usa plays mexico in like a week okay there'll be another international break
1: how close are we to qualifying
0: closer so that november 12th usa plays mexico so that's that's coming up i think one more week of premier league games then world cup qualifying um so that's exciting
1: hell yeah go red white and blue this has been the fastest growing segment on American soil. This is soccer corner. We're going to get out of here in time to watch the Sunday night football game for a change. So cheers to that. Yeah. He is Weldon Rodenberg. I appreciate your time as always. And uh, next Sunday, we're going to have a lot to talk about. I don't know what it's going to look like, but a fascinating week for the old Miss rebels next week. Appreciate it, dude. Oh yeah. No problem. And that's our show. Appreciate it. You making it to the end thanks for listening to this podcast been really awesome to uh, see it grow interact with some folks along the way. I really mean that don't take it for granted. I really enjoy doing this every time I step on the mic, particularly talking ball with Weldon every Sunday night, uh, and seeing this whole thing grow. So I really appreciate the time from, uh, all of you, not only Weldon's time, but all of you listening. And we'll be back with uh, some hoop stuff this week, basketball season getting going. And then, of course, all kinds of AM content coming down the pipe for you. So really appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, like and subscribe, rate and review. I think all podcasters are required to say that. And have a wonderful start to your week. And we're going to catch you on Wednesday.